Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly, with you till 6 on this Sunday morning, Super Bowl Sunday. This is one of the most depressing days of the year for me personally, um, and I think most football guys out there. I mean, so it, it is the worst day. Uh, you know, it, it's always fun watching the Super Bowl, but it's always, you know, I'm always dreading the end of the game. Because when the game's over, there's no football for another seven months. And uh, that sucks. So um, we will get the final game of the season later today. Very exciting game. We'll get more into it in the 3 o'clock hour. If you want to you know, call in now and give your prediction, your thoughts, you're welcome to. But it uh, should be an exciting game as Tom Brady goes for number seven. Um, I did like his answer this week to the question about, you know, how it was so much different dealing with COVID. So, yeah, it's a lot different than the other nine I've played in. So, uh, you know, that's a nice little flex right there. Uh, So we will uh, get to the game later on as Brady goes for his seventh, Andy going for back-to-back. And, you know, a lot of stuff surrounding the Chiefs and Andy Reid right now. Uh, You know, the Britt Reid incident in Kansas City. Um, Obviously, you, you just hope everybody involved is okay there. Just horrible. Uh, there are children involved, and, and uh, children could be seriously hurt. Um, but, uh, you, you know, you look at that, and you you just hope everybody's okay. But Andy going for his back-to-back championship. Patrick Mahomes going, Mahomes going for back-to-back. And I think really a, a really interesting game in terms of legacy for, for all those guys. So we'll get to that. Get to the Sixers later on. We'll get to JT Real Muto. Um, I will let you hear JT with Marks and Reese in the 4 o'clock hour of the show. But where we will start the show this morning. 
It certainly appears that after weeks of speculation, months of speculation, really, um, what will the Eagles do? What will they do at the quarterback position? How will they proceed following this horrendous, awful season that they went through? This horrendously atrocious season for the quarterback. How will the Eagles handle it this offseason? Well, we sit here Super Bowl Sunday, and it certainly appears that the Carson Wentz saga in Philadelphia is coming to an end. And, I mean, as far as story, I mean, you couldn't have wrote a a crazier story than what we've seen with Carson Wentz in Philadelphia. I mean, just everything from the day he was drafted to now, you know, you couldn't have written a script crazier than this. But reports now that Carson Wentz will be dealt any day now, Um, potentially any hour now. I mean, obviously we'll pass along any information we get throughout the course of the show, even though I am frankly pretty confident it's not going to happen in the next four hours. Dan, Dan Wilson, my producer. Dan, what do you think the odds are that this thing happens before 6 a.m.? Not very good? Not very good, but I'd be. it would be pretty cool, right, if we were just sitting here breaking the news at 4.30 in the morning, right? It would, it would be. Like, I, I, I got the Schefter notifications ready to go. This is yeah. Schefter season. You can't take any risks. You never know. Yeah, I doubt it. Um, you know, and I think this is kind of a NFL-driven thing where even if the Eagles have a deal done, I think it's like, all right, well, let's wait. Let's announce this on Monday. They don't like anything happening Super Bowl week. I'm actually surprised we've gotten this much information Super Bowl week, to be perfectly honest. Right. And, you know, they don't let anything happen Super Bowl week, let alone the day of the Super Bowl. I mean, you look at the Goff-Stafford trade, that was last Saturday night. So that's not technically Super Bowl week. Maybe they had to get it in Saturday night. So They, they were did. like, the tr- the unofficial trade deadline is midnight. Otherwise, you got to wait a week. Exactly. <laughs> and I think that's kind of the situation right now. Because it's clear that Carson Wentz is, is going to get traded now. Um, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, it's a matter of where. And um, it is over. It's unbelievable, as I said, that, that we are here. When Carson Wentz gets drafted out of 2016, and, or out of North Dakota State 2016, and I remember his introductory press conference, and, you know, I'm like, man, I'm root- this is a guy you can root for. You know, seemed like a, a kid who was coming in here, obviously from a different environment in North Dakota. I was worried about how he'd handle a city, and ultimately I think that played in to his legacy here. But, you know, has a pretty good 2016. Comes back in 2017, has that great season that we have talked about, that we've heard about many times. And Carson Wentz, regardless of how it ends, will always have a place in Eagles history as... Somebody who was critically important to that championship. Now, did Carson Wentz win the Super Bowl? Did Carson Wentz win playoff games? No, he did not. But the Eagles, I firmly believe, and, you know, I've always said this, are not in the position to have home field advantage. They're not in a position to go to a Super Bowl without the work Carson Wentz did that season. And we will appreciate that forever. But everything after that, 
you know, got really complicated, as I've said before as well. Um, I think 2017 was tough for Carson Wentz to watch Nick Foles do what he did. I think 2018 was really what broke Carson Wentz in Philadelphia. To see Nick Foles do it again, um, dealing with the back injury, dealing with the knee injury, you know, and then the issues start and the anonymous reports and the reports that Carson is very difficult to deal with behind closed doors. And then you get an up and down 2019 season that finishes with him playing very well in the last month and beating some bad teams and getting the Eagles in the playoffs, the, the clowny hit. It's just crazy. The amount of things we have been through the roller coaster ride that has been Carson's career in Philadelphia. And then there was 2020. And 2020 changed everything for Carson Wentz. He was terrible. The team was terrible. And, you know, I'm not asking now whether uh, trading him is a mistake. It's clear at this point that this was the only option. You know, I think most people who have been monitoring this situation and really paying attention to it realized the longer this went on, the more Carson Wentz refused to speak and step up as a leader that this thing was over and that it was no longer, this was a marriage that was no longer salvageable. And that this is where we've gotten. That Carson Wentz needs to go and Carson Wentz will never take a snap for the Philadelphia Eagles again. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. 215-592-9494. But as we look at this, and as we look at this situation and how we got here, because it truly is amazing that we have gotten here. Despite, you know, how much we've been talking about it, when you really look at the big picture, it is crazy. But the question I have to start the show, because I know this is a point of contention where I've argued with people a lot over the last couple weeks about the validity of this argument. But do you blame the Eagles for it getting to this point? Do you blame the Eagles for this relationship not ultimately working out? And again, if you want to get in, 215-592-9494. Do you blame them for this relationship falling apart? Because that is the common refrain. You know, you hear it all the time that the Eagles failed Carson. The Eagles didn't do right by Carson. The Eagles didn't draft the right players around him. The Eagles didn't put the right guys around him at receiver. They didn't bolster the offensive line enough. They didn't build a good enough defense. They didn't build a good enough coaching staff. They didn't have the right guys in place to help Carson Wentz. We hear it all the time. It's the same refrain, you know, that excused his poor play this season and would be used whenever Carson played poorly is that he is being failed by this organization. I don't feel that way. Um, I look at this situation, and this is how I view it. Now that we can really reflect and look back, this is a player to me who changed over the last two to three years. He changed physically due to injuries. Whether we wanted to admit it or not, he, was, he never looked the same after that knee injury in 2017. Never. Um, 
2018-2019, very up and down. I thought relatively mediocre. I thought at the end of 19 he played very well. You do got to take the level of competition into account there because they weren't playing great competition. Carson and the offense didn't do a ton. They played well in the Washington game. They played well in the final game against New York. But that first New York game here on Monday night, I mean, the Eagles were trailing to Eli Manning and the Giants by two touchdowns. So not incredibly impressive to win that game in overtime. That game against Dallas at home, Eagles scored 17 points in that game. That was a game the defense won um, for the Eagles. And, you know, as much as we want to deny it, some people want to deny it, he never looked the same mobily after the knee. He never looked the same after the back. Physically, he changed as a player and couldn't do the things that he used to be able to do prior to the injuries. He also changed psychologically. And this is where I think is the bigger issue. Is that following 2017, and I was one of the people who did this as well. I mean, I I, I thought Carson Wentz was incredible. And I thought he's going to be the quarterback here for another decade. But... Following 2017, we, as a fan base, kind of mythologized Carson Wentz as, you know, this figure who did unimaginable things. And he had a great year. But as we mythologized Carson Wentz, as we heaped praise upon him and did not want to admit or, you know, realize that that he could fall backwards, that maybe that player we watched in 2017 is not the real player that he is moving forward. He bought into all of that. And that is where I think this situation in Philadelphia really soured. Because after that season, I think Carson Wentz got a big head. Um, And he changed mentally due to the adversity, due to seeing Nick Foles come in, due to... I think his frustration with not winning that Super Bowl, not being on the field, seeing Nick Foles have the success that I think he felt inside should have been his. And psychologically, he was never the same. And I do think coming from that North Dakota environment, coming into a city like Philadelphia, the scrutiny got to him. And I think he bought into everything everybody said. He bought into the fact that the organization didn't help him enough, which I don't think is true. He bought into the fact that they didn't surround him properly, which, yeah, they made some bad draft picks, certainly, but I don't think this was a huge organizational failing that doomed Carson Wentz. Ultimately, Carson Wentz is to blame for his 2020 season. And Carson Wentz is to blame for things falling apart here. And Carson Wentz is to blame for this marriage being irreconcilable. If I'm saying that right, I don't think I did. But he had no desire to try to fix this. The Eagles did. It's why they hired Nick Sirianni. I still believe that. Um, Maybe it wasn't the sole reason, but do I think that hiring Nick Sirianni was due in part to the Eagles wanting to convince Carson to stay? Absolutely. And regardless of the mistakes the Eagles made, I do not blame them for this relationship going south. I don't. Because the bottom line with Carson Wentz, and I sincerely, I mean, I know people think I hate him. I truly don't. I don't know him. And I hope he can grow up wherever he goes next. Whether it's Chicago, 
whether it's Indy. We'll talk about the destinations coming up. But I hope he learns from this. And I hope he grows up. And I hope he understands that it's about the team. It's not about one guy. It never is. Never has been. Whether it was Donovan, whether it was Vic, whether it was Foles, Bradford, anybody. It's never about one guy. And Carson Wentz has handled this situation like this is all about him. And everybody works for him. Whether you read it in the McLean article, whether you read it in the Santa Guido article, um, it's all there. And nobody's come out to dispute it. And when you see tweets from guys like, I mean, Darius Slay, I don't, as I said, I don't care what Darius Slay says. I think Darius Slay's a, a dope. Um, and Darius Slay stomps on Wentz's grave. I, I don't think that is, you know, a mature thing to do. But you see a guy like Miles Sanders tweet out as these rumors are running rampant, you know, basically saying we're going to the Super Bowl next year. Obviously, that's not going to happen, most likely. But that is directly in response to you didn't want Carson Wentz here anymore. And I think this is the way most people on the team feel. I think it's the way most people in the organization feel. Because Carson Wentz has not handled this situation like a leader. He has not handled this situation like a franchise quarterback. And it is time to move on. This is the best thing for both sides. And even if you're a Carson fan, you should realize that. That this is the best thing for everybody involved. This is the best thing for all parties. Carson wants to go somewhere else, and hopefully he learns. Hopefully he grows up. Hopefully he understands he cannot act the way he acted over the last two to three years and have success in terms of winning your teammates' affection, winning your teammates' respect, and ultimately winning on the field. Because I do think it factored in on the field. Um, I do think Carson not allowing himself to be coached led to Doug Peterson being fired. And now it's time for everybody to move on. It's time for Carson to move on wherever he goes. Time for the Eagles to move on with whoever they end up with at quarterback. And ultimately, this is going to be good for both sides. A divorce was inevitable, and I'm glad it's happening. But do you blame the Eagles for things getting this bad? I don't. Um, And we'll go through why tonight, over the next couple nights, and as we kind of flush all this stuff out. Um... But I don't. I I place most of the blame in this relationship falling apart on Carson. And you can look at the last couple weeks, and and I think it makes it clear. I think the the firing of Doug, the hiring of Sirianni, was a last-ditch attempt by the Eagles to try to salvage this relationship. Carson Wentz didn't want it salvaged. And you can't blame the organization for that. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. Do you blame the Eagles for this thing with Wentz falling apart uh, is the question I have to start the show. Let's get it started on the phones with Eric in South Philly. What's up, Eric? Tom Kelly, how you doing? What's up, man? Hey, listen, I I do blame the Eagles to a certain extent. You know, if you're uh, a a franchise quarterback, you expect for them to put the – Eric failed at that consistently. Didn't pick the right wide receivers. Didn't pick the right, you know, their, their drafts were just broken all the way out. So while I do agree with what you're saying about him, uh, 
not being a franchise quarterback, not being a leader he was supposed to be. I mean, I give him just as much blame as anybody else, but I think both sides carry as much blame as the other. Yeah, no, I hear you, Eric, but I'll counter with this point. Like, I know we talk about the Eagles draft record a lot. The Eagles aren't the only team that misses on draft picks. I mean, you look at New England's history of drafting receivers over the last decade. It's worse than the Eagles. It's worse than the Eagles. And, you know, did you see Tom Brady crying in New England and wanting his way out? No. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, Green Bay never drafted him a first-round wide receiver, ever. Aaron Rodgers didn't cry and, 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 you know, pout and become uncoachable. So, you know, I get it, and I agree. I mean, the Eagles have messed up on draft picks, but I don't look at it as this massive organizational failure, malpractice that I is a word I hear all the time. I, I just see, you know, some missed draft picks, and that's not excusable, but um, it, it also shouldn't uh, deteriorate a quarterback's relationship with the organization. And I agree with that. Like, you know, but – He's not a Tom Brady or uh, Aaron Rodgers type player. Like he's he's not that guy, and you know that falls on him. If he wants to be in that echelon and be you know a, a, a winner of Super Bowls regularly, you got to be able to step up to that space. So I do agree with that. But at the same time, like Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers are, you know, walking in the Hall of Fame on the first ballot. So yeah, comparing them to them is kind of you know doing him a little disservice. So. I mean, but we're talking, we're speaking the same language. Me and you. Like we both feel like both have a certain amount of blame, but you just blame the quarterback a little bit more than I do. And I mean, I, I can't really argue with you the way that you can't really argue with me. But I, I think that if they trade him, I would be, if I was a team like Pittsburgh, I would say, listen, I'm going to give you my 24th pick. I'll give you like a conditional fourth that can turn into a three or a two. Mm-hmm. If you give me Wentz and Earth. And now Wentz I'm and set Hurts. up on offense. Say again? Wentz and Hurts? I, Wentz and Hurts. Well, if I'm right. if I'm trading Wentz and Hurts, I need more back than that, Eric. I mean, okay. it sounds like the Eagles are going to get, you know, a, a one back for, for, Wentz, for Wentz alone. Listen, I wasn't expecting them to get a second or a third. Like, all this first that they're talking about for Wentz is crazy to me. But, you know, whatever you can get back for them, I give them both of those players, and I get whatever I can get in return because I'm setting them up for success. You're not going to get a, a, a starting quarterback at 24 to draft. Yeah. With your second next year, your third year after that. Like, you know, you give me whatever you can, I'll give you them. And now he can step in. He's, he's Roethlisberger like. Yeah. I mean, maybe, and I appreciate it, Eric. Sorry, breaking up a little bit, but I appreciate the call. I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe he could, uh, that's a thing just because Carson Wentz has a body type similar. doesn't mean he's Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, I don't know. Coming off this season, I'm shocked the Eagles are going to potentially get a one. And Dan, you pointed. Out, I thought he was saying Wentz and Hurts. Wentz and Hurts. That I makes Ertz, a lot more yeah, sense. Yeah, I think yeah. he meant that would be a hell of a trade, though. Take both of our quarterbacks. And I you, don't. You pick which one you like better. Yeah, I don't think Carson would be all too crazy about, about Hurts coming with them. Yeah, I don't. I think. don't. Th- and I think part of the reason we're hearing these Nick Foles rumblings is because they know they've they're wise to you can't have the two of them on the same team either. Yeah, like uh, it's like no, you have to send him back if you're going to take Carson Wentz. Yeah, you that part. Team. Yeah, that part of it's interesting. We'll get into that in the next segment here because I do want to talk about some destinations and those rumors are out there. Now I don't know how valid these are. Um, you know, uh, it, uh, the way I look at it, you know, the the che- when Schefter and Rappaport say something, I'll, I'll kind of 
Uh, that That's when I'll think it's real. But we'll go through some of the things that are out there right now because the Chicago one is just fascinating. Um, I will, And we'll get into it in the next segment. I'll tell you how I feel about uh, the potential destinations because my mind at this point, I think it's down to two spots. I think there are two teams realistically still in the mix for Carson Wentz, and we will look at them when we return. But I want your opinions on it as Carson Wentz, on his way out of Philly, it is going to happen, not a matter of if, a matter of when. I'd be surprised if this is not done by Tuesday at the latest. But who do you blame? The Eagles or Carson? I blame Carson. I think, you know, obviously not 100%, nothing's 100%, but I think Carson's far more to blame for this relationship going south um, than the Philadelphia Eagles are. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. I'm Tom Kelly, with you till 6. Dan Wilson producing right here, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly in for uh in for nobody. I mean until 6 a.m. I'm sorry, I just distracted because I'm I'm on Twitter here and it just it never ends. I, I thought maybe we could get to some sort of you know, I, I some some sort of resolution in this 16, 15 however long it is, year long feud between T.O. and Donovan McNabb, um, because T.O. and Donovan McNabb both agreed that it's in the best interest of the organization trade Carson Wentz. We talked about that the other day, but then I'm I'm looking on Twitter here, and this is just not, this is just wrong. I don't know why, but T.O. is tweeting at Freddie Mitchell, at, hey, F, at F Mitchell 84, uh, can you make sure our QB isn't out drinking? We have a big game tomorrow. I mean, why does he have to do that? Why does he have to take that kind of shot? He's T.O. It's he, just horrible. I, I saw this and cracked up. I mean, he's still it, not over it. It's unbelievable. He's not. He's never going to get over it. If you're not over it at this point, I don't think you're getting over it. No. it's uh, But it's just, it was and, 16 years ago. Yeah, and I'm a Donovan guy. I I, I, I am. I, I like Donovan McNabb. I think, he was, I think he's the best quarterback in franchise history. I just, uh, you know, do we really have to keep litigating this every, like, I, I don't believe Donovan was out drinking the night before the Super Bowl. I mean, this is a T.O. story. So, uh, you know, I don't I don't buy that. Um, Hank Fraley had said he threw up in the locker room. He didn't say anything about Donovan drinking the, the night before the game. I don't think that's the case, but just my opinion on it. So, I, I just, I, 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 I don't need the T.O. People shots. are obsessed. I mean, whether he threw up in that game will be debated until the end of time. It will, well, he definitely threw up. Uh, and we seen, have the video evidence of that. But he but, still will deny it until the end right, of time. Right, right. But the idea that he's out drinking, I, and who knows. But, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know why T.O.'s got to keep taking cheap shots. Uh, 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. Uh, open lines right now, which uh, I'm a little surprised about, considering Carson Wentz is going to be traded. And, you know, for everybody who hates the Carson Wentz talk on this station, you know, there's going to be a lot of it this week, but then we'll start talk, stop talking about him. So everybody can be happy with that. Um, but, uh, who do you blame for this relationship and this marriage falling apart? I think Carson's more to blame the Eagles. I do. Um, I don't know what more the Eagles could have done. Did they miss on draft picks? Yeah. Uh, Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson, one year in, doesn't look very good. 
J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, disaster. I mean, a nightmare pick. Um, Andre Dillard, obviously hurt last year, doesn't look good. But the Eagles did everything Carson wanted them to do for years. He wanted Mike Rowe fired, fired Mike Rowe. Wanted Doug Peterson fired, even though I thought that was ridiculous, I still think that is the primary reason, if not the only reason, the primary reason they fired Doug Peterson. Hired Nick Sirianni, maybe not just for Carson Wentz, but I certainly think partially to try to salvage this relationship with Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz wanted no part of being in this city anymore. And that is not the Eagles' fault. And I think part of it stems from the fact that he didn't want to go into that locker room again. I really think that was part of this, where Carson Wentz dreaded a scenario in which he had to walk back in that locker room and compete with Jalen Hurts because I I don't think he wanted any part of a competition. And once Nick Sirianni said on the morning show last week that everybody will compete, quarterbacks included, I think that was the final straw. I think that's when Carson decided for absolute once and for all, I am not coming back here. Because I don't think he wanted to compete with Jalen Hurts. I don't think he was confident he'd win the job. And I don't think he wanted to walk back into a locker room where the perception would be that he got a coach those guys liked fired. And that's not anybody's fault other than Carson. And ultimately, as this thing breaks up once and for all, while we'll always be thankful for what Carson Wentz did in Philadelphia and the role he played in helping this team capture its first Super Bowl championship, The reason it's ending and the fault for it ending, I think, falls primarily on his shoulders. And I'm not saying Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Rosen haven't made mistakes. I'm not saying everything's been perfect. Um, But it's not their fault that their quarterback fell apart physically and mentally. It's just not. And, um, you know, hopefully Carson can grow up and handle things better somewhere else. Uh, because I think for him to be a true franchise quarterback, for him to be a, a leader, he's got a lot of work to do in that regard. And he needs to be introspective in realizing what went wrong here. Because if Carson goes somewhere else and he continues to believe that he was a victim and it's everybody else's fault and it's not him, he's going to have the same issues elsewhere. So, For Carson Wentz's sake, he better be introspective here and realize the role he had to play in all this as well. 215-592-9494. Let's go to Trey in South Carolina. What's up, Trey? How you doing, Tom? Not bad. What's going on? Yeah, man, I'm I'm bummed out by this situation, man. I've been an avid Eagles fan since I was six years old in 1981. I I fell in love with him because of Will Montgomery, but uh, I I hate to sign this marriage in with Carson Lightfoot, man. Yeah, no, no, it stinks, Trey. It really does. And you know, I, I, I mean, if you told me five months ago that this is where we'd be on Super Bowl Sunday, I would have, I would have said you're insane. But um, you know, this is where we are, and it's a shame it's not working out. But ultimately, I think this is uh, best for both sides. Yeah, me too, man. I, I can't, I just can't believe how solid he is on the sign. You know, I haven't heard it. We haven't heard anything from him. So I guess that speaks volumes. I guess. 
Yeah, no, and and that's why you know when everybody's saying, oh well, why does he have to speak after the season? I mean, I I thought it was pretty clear that when he wasn't speaking, um, it was very telling that he wanted out. Yeah, man. Um, like I said, I wish him the best or whatever. I'm an Eagles fan first, so but I'm gonna say this right quick. Can I drop this? Um, sure. I hope we draft a quick. I don't believe Jalen Hurts a, a franchise quarterback. I don't. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Trey, there's no way to know. I mean, four games is not enough of a sample size. Yeah. I honestly, I liked what I, I've seen, um, but I'm not willing to just commit to Jalen Hurts being the guy. What I, what I would consider, though, if if they're at six and there's not a guy they like there, say, you know, Fields and, and Wilson go earlier and or one of those guys are there and they don't love him, I would be okay, you know, seeing what you have with Hurts this year, bringing in a veteran backup and <laughs> – you know, maybe go drafting a quarterback um, if you're once again drafting high next year. Yeah, I, I, um, I want to chase, man. I hope we get chased, but in a way, Jamal Chase, the receiver at yeah. uh, LSU. But in a way, I hope we get back to where we – well, you know, I hope we, we ain't struggling too long, man. Um, we get back to where we're supposed to be, man. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree, Trey, and I appreciate it, man. Thanks for the call. Yeah, I mean, I hope it all works out. Uh, I, I do. I really hope it all works out for the organization, and I think it will. Um this is this is what needed to happen. Um, and the quarterback situation, man, we're going to have fun offseason. There's no doubt about that because now who knows what's going to happen. I, I do think the Eagles drafting quarterback is absolutely in the mix. Um, people who are, like, yelling, like, how could the Eagles possibly draft another quarterback? Like, what are you talking about? Like, and I like Jalen Hurts. But, Dan, you can't know after four games if Jalen Hurts is your guy or not. Absolutely not. If you like one of these quarterbacks on the board, you at least have to consider it. Like, you have too high of a pick not to. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, you know, you look at it, and I don't think it's a horrible scenario to ride it out with Hurts this year and see what you have. And, you know, if if he's not good, then you're going to be drafting high next year, and hopefully you'll be in a position to get a really good one next year. You can just keep the QB factory going. There you go. Just draft more. Yeah, I saw... I saw Les Bowen tweet out tonight, um, you know, if the Eagles do end up bringing back Foles, is that a recall for the quarterback factory? Uh, not not a great joke, but uh, you know, I'll, give, I'll give him credit for the effort there. Uh, let's go to uh, Chris in Coatesville. What's up, Chris? Yo, Chris. Hey, how you doing? Good. What's going on? First time caller. Thanks for calling, man. Good. Um, I was talking to your producer there. Uh, like, I was thinking Josh Allen, when he wasn't good, you know, last year. Mm-hmm. He went out and worked what he had to do to improve. Mm-hmm. What, what's Carson done? I mean. Doesn't, doesn't seem like he's working as hard as he needs to, Chris. I mean, the, a guy, like, and this is kind of my point here is, you know, I, I agree that the organization hasn't drafted a lot of the right guys and the, the staff may not have done um, their job as well as they should have, but no quarterback in his fifth year should play the way he played. None. No. No, I, I don't think he's um, – for the money that he's making that they've committed to him, if he was perfect and, you know, a great quarterback and doing everything right, then he may have some room to complain that he's not getting the, getting the help that he needs. But he hasn't made – to me, hasn't made any effort to go, to go do anything for himself. No, and, and when you hear the stories, Chris, of, you know, Doug and the staff trying to tell him what he needed to improve on, what he needed to do differently – um, you know, a lot of stories where he would just, you know, not do it and disregard their advice. And, um, you know, that's not the way you get better by ignoring coaching. No, I mean, if he, if he trusted his coach, he wouldn't be out there checking down all those plays. How about just running the play like it's called 
and executing it. Yeah, no doubt. And you could see it during the games. As, you know, I know people were, were bashing uh, Doug's play calling all year, but you could see during the games, uh, you know, how many plays he was audibling out of and checking out of. And it was evident that, that he was changing a lot of that offense last year. Yeah, and that wasn't really giving Doug a chance to get his offense in there, you know, the way he wanted to run it. No, it wasn't. How do you feel about Hurts moving forward, Chris? Are you confident in him? I think he has some talent. I think from um, everything that he when he was out on his little tour or whatever, everything he's saying is the right thing, that he's, he's ready to, to step up and work and improve his game. And the situation that he came from where he had to compete, I think he will work to be the best quarterback he can and not, not quit. I don't think he'll complain. I think he'll go out there and work as hard as he can. Yeah, no, I agree, Chris, and I appreciate the call. And I, I mean, I understand this week Jalen Hurts is out talking. A lot of guys are out talking this week. It's it you know, uh, it's 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 a sponsor situation where these guys are getting paid to make appearances. I get that, but it was smart of Jalen Hurts to get out and say the things that he said. And even after the season, the day after the season, the you know, talking about I'm coachable. Like Jalen Hurts is a smart guy. He knows the dynamics of what happened with Carson, and I do think he'll respond to that. And you know, we'll see um, with Jalen Hurts, uh, but I, I, I do think he has potential moving forward. Um, do I know he's going to be your guy for the next five years? No, absolutely not. Nobody can know that for sure, um, considering uh, you know how early it is. But I do think he has potential, no doubt about that. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Joe in Doylestown, see you there. You'll be first right after the break, and then you, if you want to get in. I'm Tom Kelly with you till six. Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Sunday morning, Super Bowl Sunday. We'll talk about the Super Bowl in the 3 o'clock hour. Um, give you our picks for the game. Should be a, a fun one on Sunday evening as Andy Reid versus Tom Brady. Uh, Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. I mean, you can't leave out Mahomes there, but... Um, should be a great one. And, man, if Brady wins this game, it would just be I – and mean, this guy is just incredible. Like, I, I I, don't have enough words to describe Tom Brady. Um, and, yeah, I'm a Brady guy. I've, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Um, I, I, I think he's incredible. I like watching greatness, and he is the definition of greatness. And um, I am rooting for Andy Reid. I'll always root for Andy Reid. Uh, but, man, if – I, everybody everybody wants to see that scenario, right? Like four points down, uh, three minutes to go. Brady needs to go 80, 90 yards. That's what we all want to see, right, Dan? Absolutely. Yeah. Like I, that's what you want every game to come down to. You want a close game. Like we always say we're rooting for this team, we're rooting for that team. Give me a good game. Like, the, like you said, this NFL season is ending. It's sad enough as it is. Give us a good down-to-the-wire game that we can all get excited about and talk about all week. Yeah, and but but who would you rather like to see down late? Like, I'd actually rather see Brady in this instance than Mahomes. I, with Mahomes, I almost feel like it's just like he's going to do it. With Brady, I'd like is to see if he Is this the type can. of game? It's a cliche, but whoever has the ball last wins. I really do think that. Like if it's that extra possession? If it's a close game, um, if it's a close – if it's like – a three-point game, somewhere in that range, I think Tampa wins. If it's a touchdown or more game, I think the Chiefs win. That's kind of the way I look That's at it. That's the way. So, a closer game favors Tampa. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think less points favors Tampa. Oh, also. definitely. Yeah, yeah. Because slower game, 
slow down the pace. I think that's going to be Tampa's strategy, maybe pound the run a little bit more. Bowles tries to, you know, get that defense after Mahomes. I think less points definitely goes in Tampa's favor. But Tom Brady, man, just Matt is the king of managing those types of games. Oh, yeah. wins. Yeah, and we'll talk about it a little later on um, as well. But, yeah, there's one game in particular that um, – that I think uh, the Bucks watched very closely the game plan and will try to mimic uh, in this one. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. Uh, let's go to Joe in Doylestown. Let's talk about the Super Bowl. What's up, Joe? Hi. I'm, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Nice and to talk to you, too, one, one thing that has moved me about this season is the success that both uh, Matt Rule has had uh, with North Carolina, and of course Bruce Arians has had at at uh, Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. Uh, when when you when you listen when I listen to a game with Rule, it's so delightful that his top snow and and some he he's brought he brought other assistants with him, and they're slogging it through. And we'll see if if he can build upon what he's done. But I'll always, I'll always admire um, Bruce Arians because he, over the t- over the time years that he left Temple, if if you left a good impression on him in terms of how you handled football, handled football, and other people, he never forgot you. And if he felt that there were people that could coach, you know, he would he would he would bring them along. Yeah, Joe, and, I love I love Bruce Arians. I think he's a he's a cool guy. He's a guy you just want to sit down and have a beer with, right? Yeah, I think I think so. I'm not I'm not a very beery person, oh, but well, you know, just whatever. To have a good con- but beer comes good beer comes good conversation. There you go. So I'll take I'll take I'll take that anytime. Yeah, well, I agree, Joe. I appreciate it, man. Thanks. Yeah, beer, soda, whatever. Um, but yeah, Arians is a cool guy. I, I just I, I I like him. I like his style of coaching. I, I like that Tampa Bay team. I, I really do. I, I, you know, him and Bowles and and Bowles, um, you know, I think got a raw raw deal with the Jets. Got a raw deal when he's here as well. Um, taking over for Juan, that wasn't an easy situation back in in 2012. But um, yeah, I, I like that Tampa Bay team. Man, their defense too. They got some good young players. That linebacker, their linebackers, Devin White, Levante David, and that kid Winfield is. As good a safety as I have seen for his age, I mean that kid is a monster, uh, forcing turnovers. I, I I really think like we're all talking about offense, and everyone really likes this overpick and thinks we're going to see a lot of points. If this Tampa defense, this is the type of game that feels like if the Tampa defense can get a turnover on Mahomes, that's what wins them the game. Yeah, they need. I think they need to get multiple turnovers, maybe um, multiple, but one would be like if you could get Mahomes like. In you a know, big spot, in like yeah. an interception in a big spot, which he never does. If you could get one, if you could, like, it's huge. Yeah, and we saw in the NFC Championship game, like Tampa will challenge the refs to throw flags. Like they will get they will. physical. They'll, they'll get physical. Yeah, and and you know it, that that stuff didn't get called in the championship game. Um, and no this, one wants to be the ref that decides the Super Bowl with a flag, right? And this could be a game where you know, depending on how the refs call it, it could have a big impact. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. If you want to get in. 215-592-9494. See Mike in South Philly there. Interested to talk to Mike about this Carson Wentz situation. And also when we get back, we will address the value that the Eagles could be getting back. The latest on the rumors. We'll update you on that. That's coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP.
Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you till 6. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494. We're supposed to get more snow today. Are you kidding me? I mean, I, it didn't snow at all last year, did it? And now all of a sudden, we, we, with all the snow coming storms. with the uh, snow facts. A third of an inch last year. Wow. And now we have a snowstorm last week. We've got another snowstorm this week. Oh, man, this, this it's sucks. It's supposed to start in about an hour. Like, as, you know, getting out of here at the yeah. end at 6 a.m. might be a little bit of a struggle. Exactly. Uh, so hopefully it's not uh, Hopefully it's not too bad. Um, but, uh, yeah, just I'm, 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 I could do without this snow. I'm not a big fan of it. Uh, 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. Talking about the Carson Wentz situation, and do you blame the Eagles for this relationship falling apart? I don't. Um you know, obviously, a certain percentage of blame goes everywhere, but the majority of the blame's on Carson Wentz. And, you know, people can make excuses as much as they want. I'm, I'm kind of glad that we, we don't have to talk about it anymore, to be honest with you. I'm tired of talking about it, too. I know people made it clear to me they're tired of me talking about Carson Wentz. So you won't have to hear much of it after this week um, because I'll try to stay, keep his name out of my mouth as much as possible, speaking of Donovan. But, um, you know... <laughs> There, there's a reason we've discussed it so much. It's a big deal. I, I do love the people who said for months, well, you're making so much about him not talking. It's not a big deal. This is all a story about nothing. Well, it turns out it was a story about something. It turns about out him not talking was a precursor to a trade, as most people who thought him not talking was a big deal. And it was, because he's getting traded. And um, now the talk becomes, what are the Eagles going to get back? And you look at what's out there right now, I, at this point, think, you know, we've heard a number of destinations. You've heard New England and San Fran and Carolina maybe could have interest because they had a lot of interest in Stafford. But ultimately, this looks like it's down to two teams. It's Indianapolis and it's Chicago. And they couldn't be more different situations to me. Um, Indy, I think, is a great fit for wins. You know, Partially, I think a lot is made of Frank Reich. I don't think Frank Reich's as great a coach as we have made him out to be in this town. But this guy Carson's comfortable with. A pretty good scheme. A place where I think he could go in. They could work the offense around. They could help him out. A good offensive line. And he could have success. Chicago, I think, is the complete opposite. I think Carson Wentz going to Chicago would be a disaster for Carson Wentz. I don't think he'd work out there. Um, he's proven that he's a guy who needs everything to be right around him. Everything is not right in Chicago. You have Allen Robinson, who is a great receiver, but aside from that, you have very little in terms of weapons. The offensive line is not very good. The coaching staff stinks. I think Matt Nagy's a bad coach, and I don't think that would work out. Now, the rumors are just the idea of, yeah, and what's out there now been rumored, you know, I have no clue how valid this is. I don't have sources on this. Um, I'm just giving you what is currently been talked about. Potentially a first-round pick, which I think Chicago has the 19th pick in the draft, 18 or 19, something like that. I think it's 19 because the extra playoff team, they were the worst playoff team. So I believe it's 19. Um, and... Uh, an offensive player, Tariq Cohen's name's been out there, but he's denied that he's getting traded. 
and also Nick Foles. And the idea of Nick Foles coming back here is just so perfect. Um, and I actually think it would make a lot of sense for him to be the backup. We'll talk about that a little later on. But Nick Foles potentially being the backup to Jalen Hurts, I, I'd like it. But How's everyone doing? There you go. Um, but I look at how this is being handled here, and I feel better about Howie Roseman staying now that we know the Eagles are moving on from Carson Wentz. Because whatever you want to say about Howie, and I get it, this is what he is good at. Like, this is what Howie Roseman does well. Trading, finding value, you know, and making, you know, chicken salad out of you know what. You know, he has done that in the past. Didn't do a great job the last couple years, but... You look back at 2016. The Eagles obviously had a better core, but they were in a bad situation. They were in a bad situation then as well. That whole rebuild, that whole retooling, began with Howie making that 13-8 to trade with Miami, where he's able to get up five spots in the draft, while shedding the salaries of Kiko Alonso and Byron Maxwell, which I don't know how he did it. I still don't know how he did it. But he was able to do that. That led to the Eagles getting up, getting Carson Wentz, and kind of set the stage for what happened in 16 and what ultimately happened in 17. And, you know, I think in this kind of scenario, where how he's trading, how he's clearing cap room, you know, Getting draft picks back, getting pieces back. This is what I think he can be. He can provide value. I talked a while back is why I didn't think how he needed to go. Because I thought he could provide value in certain situations. These are the kind of situations where I think he provides value. To do, a, you know, kind of a quicker rebuild, kind of a quicker retool. If he gets a number one back for Carson Wentz. That is a win. Like, I am stunned that it looks like that's what the Eagles are going to be able to get back. If he gets two first-rounders, which I don't think is going to happen, I mean, it would be better than the Bradford trade, in my opinion. After the season Carson Wentz had, if you were able to get that type of value back in return, a first-round pick that is not a really late pick, I mean, 19 is pretty pretty good um that would put you in a really good position and it appears he's going to get that but your thoughts on what the Eagles should get back um you know I've seen some people saying uh, a number one you know like I am a number one's great value I've seen some other people saying how could you only do that for a number one I mean I I I saw uh, a few people were confused. Why Deshaun Watson's worth a ton more than, than Carson Wentz? If that's what you think, I, I actually did see that. Uh, who? I, who is confused as uh, to why Deshaun Watson is better than Carson Wentz? Uh, I, I mean, I... People. Uh, people. Uh, and Mike doesn't like when I do that, but I don't like mentioning any names on the air. I don't like starting Don't feuds. give them the attention they right. don't deserve. But it's like, if you don't know why Deshaun Watson's worth so much more than Carson Wentz, you either are in denial about how... Carson Wentz played, or you just have never watched Deshaun Watson play. And you can look at the record and say, well, they had similar records last year. Deshaun Watson's team was legitimately terrible. 
Um, and they had no defense. Why is a filet mignon better than McDonald's? I mean, it's like, what kind of question is that? There you go. Uh, that's a, I, I like that analogy there, Dan. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot out there, but a number one pick, what do you think the return should be, and where do you think it's going to end up being? I think it is going to be Chicago, whether those reports are right or not. Um, you know, the false thing's interesting because, as we mentioned earlier, as you mentioned, Dan, I think – you know, I don't think Wentz wants to go there with Foles. I, I don't think that's something that's Carson trouble needs. ready to happen if the yeah. two of them are on the same team. And by the way, we're talking about how he can't handle a big market. Chicago is a big market. Yeah, like, it is. Indianapolis makes more sense from that perspective as well, I think. To your point, Chicago is not a city that just snoozes on its sports teams when they're bad. Like, no. He will get ripped to shreds there also. Yeah, that's part of the reason as well why I don't think that's a great fit for him. Because I don't think he's built to play in that kind of market. And, you know, history I, would say you're correct. Yeah. And I think you look at it and I don't think he, he'd want to be in the same place as Nick Foles. But, um, hey, you know, what do you think of the return and where do you think it's going to be? I think it's going to be the Bears. And if the Eagles get the 19th pick, um, I'd be happy with that. I think it opens up a lot of options uh, for you in the draft. And uh, I feel better about Howie running the show in this kind of environment than I do moving forward with Wentz. 215-592-9494. Let's go to Mike in South Philly. What's up, Mike? Hey, how's it going, Tom? Good. What's up, man? Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure um, if you heard the news before I get to the, the sports stuff. Did you see um, George R. R. Martin provided an update on the uh, Winds of Winter? I did not. What did he have to say? Is it? He said he thinks he might be able to finish it in 2021. He said over the pandemic, he wrote hundreds of pages. It was the most he's ever written in his life. And uh, he said he still has a few hundred more to go, but he's hoping to finish it in, in 2021 at some point. I'll believe it when I see I'll, it. Like, uh, not, if it is in 2021, it'll be like, you know, the last week of December. <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm not getting, you know, he's done this to me too many times before. I'm not getting too excited about this again. Yeah. I'm not letting him fool me again. Yeah, and we'll see if Grey Worm's the final boss. So. Oh, my God. I, <laughs> man, I, that, that still just makes my blood boil uh, thinking yeah. about that episode. <laughs> Well, the one stuff. Well, for, you know, it's. Uh, I agree that Wentz is the most to blame for the relationship falling apart, but in terms of like the whole organization, like the whole organization is kind of collapsing around the whole Wentz situation as well. It's kind of like a, the whole thing is kind of tumbling down. And while I will say that Wentz is probably most to blame for this whole relationship falling apart. These type of things are indicative of what happens when your organizations aren't well run. Like, you, you don't see these things happen with the Packers. Like, they drafted Jordan Love, and there's not this, you know, there's not turmoil going on there. You know, that's, turmoil tends to happen in organizations that are poorly run. And when I see all this stuff, and it's like, how did it come to this? They won a Super Bowl three years ago, and they already drove out the head coach, and the quarterback is going to leave, and there's all this backstabbing and stuff leaking to the media like Jeffrey Lurie he's, he's let his organization turn into a mess to me, to me that that's what stands out to me more than anything it's just looking at where we where we are now where we were just a few years ago and how quickly and how far it has fallen since I agree Mike there's no doubt about it and there's no changing you know the past and I Jeffrey Lurie is the person at this point that I have less confidence in than anybody because yeah, uh, the things that he is saying are, are just <laughs> Um, they're, they're, they just don't make sense. But I do look at this as a, a positive, and you know where I've stood on Wentz. I, I, I think this is the beginning of starting to turn this thing around. And I, I think, you know, trying to bring it back with Wentz, trying to kind of rekindle this another year only would have set you uh, 
further back. I do think this is the start of moving things in the right direction. And if you can trade him, you can get draft assets, you can continue to kind of, you know, um, get more picks and hopefully rebuild this roster. I do think this is the start of getting back on track. I mean, what you hope, you know, if they get picks and they pick the right guys and everything, you got to see if, you know, there are some rumors that if the Eagles get a one, they might have have to give up a two. So essentially the net value would only be like a second round. I mean, who knows? Well, I mean, we'll obviously see when when the value gets. But like, it's just, I was looking at, I forget, one of the cap people, you know, there's a bunch of cap people on social media, on Twitter, one of them posted like, if the Eagles get rid of Wentz, Alshon and Zacherts in the same offseason, they're going to have like about 50 million total in dead money. It's like... How does Howie Roseman still have a job if he has to eat that much dead money just to get the team righted in the right direction? Like, isn't Jeffrey Lurie looking at, you know, looking at this and going, whoa, 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 wait a second. Like, do you, like, this is the situation that you put us in. Forget about Carson Wentz. I'm just talking about the money right now. Like, you signed these contracts. And Carson Wentz's contract, you're the one who gave him that contract. Now, granted, at the time, nobody knew it was going to blow up. Right. But, it's still his job to know that. Like, that's what he gets paid to do. We're just fans. Like, of course we supported it at the time. But, you know, he's paid to get it right. No, like, I, I, no, no I agree, Mike. And, and the plan was to restructure Wentz this offseason. And this is what they were going to keep doing is, is restructuring him to open cap space down the line. Uh, the Wentz situation blew up in their faces. And there's no doubt about that. And there's no absolving them of that. But I am at least encouraged by the fact that – they are understanding the mistake and ridding themselves of the mistake instead of banging their head against the wall trying to force something that's not going to work. Yeah, I mean, I will give them credit that at least they're not keeping Wentz just because of the money he's making. They're right. willing to cut ties. But, I, dude, I still see like people on social media going, like, if we trade Wentz, this is going to be the greatest mistake in franchise history. I'm like, <laughs> what, are you, what are you smoking? It's, it's crazy, Mike. It really what? is. I mean, it's it just anybody that thinks that Wentz could work here anymore – is just in denial. And, and like, I don't think he's going to have great success elsewhere. Like, if he goes to Indy, he might get back to being an all-right quarterback. But, yeah. you know, if he goes to Chicago, do you think he's going to be good there? I don't. No, especially if Allen Robinson leaves. Like, and Matt Nagy's nothing special. I mean, he might not even be a good coach at all. Um, but, like, as, like, some people still think that he was great in 2019. And, and, and the two things that they use, they go, well, he played with a bunch of practice squad guys, and he threw for 4,000 yards and had a 65% completion percentage. And I'm like, first of all, for, throwing for 4,000 yards in today's NFL is, is nothing special. It, it really isn't. Like, you know, half the league throws for 4,000 yards, and a lot of those players don't play full 16 games. So, like, throw, you know, in, in a passing league where defenses are pretty much nerfed to not be able to do anything, throwing for 4,000 yards really isn't anything special. And the completion percentage, like, that's one of the mo- – like, for example, yes, I know he's throwing the practice squad guys, but, like, when people go, oh, well, look what he did with the practice squad guys and look at he was able to complete all those passes. But, like, playing with Boston Scott doesn't excuse him throwing, you know, a screen pass 10 feet over Miles Sanders' head. No. That has nothing to do with the guys he's playing with. Like, we see him routinely throw passes into the ground or way over somebody's head or way behind somebody on crossing routes or drag routes or whatever you want, you know, and they go, oh, well, it's the player. No, like, these are just bad passes. They're bad passes. He's horribly inaccurate half the game. And you can't, you can't sustain success when your quarterback is that inaccurate. And, like, uh, Tom, we're still, like, we're still five years into the league and we're still going on about his mechanics. 
like Aaron Rodgers can throw a perfect pass off the back foot with like, you know, you know, side armed. But like if Carson Wentz's mechanics are just slightly off, even a hair, he can't complete routine passes. Like it shouldn't be that way. Yeah, and that's the thing, Mike. And and this is where whenever he wants to blame the organization and blame the coaching staff and everything, at some point there's an onus on the player to improve on his own. Like a lot of these guys go to throwing coaches in the offseason. You hear that Tom House guy's name mentioned all the time. And I think Wentz actually went to him between 16 and 17. Um, but, you know, if Carson Wentz isn't going to take it upon himself to get better, that's, quite frankly, not really the organization's fault. Yeah, and, and you paid him. Remember, we you traded up to get him, and you took him number two overall. You paid him like a top five to top ten guy. And this is a league where, I mean, you know, even more than ever, like this has always been the narrative, but now more than ever before, you need the elite of the elite to win Super Bowls. You need Mahomes. You need Russell Wilson. You need Aaron Rodgers. I mean, those are the guys that are in the final four every year. You know, Brady. Like, you know, just, be, just Carson Wentz being – good like that's not good enough you drafted this guy number two you paid him like a top five guy so like when people go oh well no well Carson Wentz can rebound rebound to that level rebound to the level where you know Aaron Rodgers and Mahomes are like that's what you need to win a Super Bowl like last year Carson Wentz was Kirk Cousins-esque you don't pay you you don't give up all that money and that draft capital to get a guy who's like Kirk Cousins. You do that for a guy you think you can win multiple Super Bowls. Like that, That's what the Eagles should be chasing right now. If I were a general manager in the NFL, I would be obsessively hunting a top five guy. Like, and I think Justin Herbert has a chance to be you know, the next up-and-comer in the NFL. But like guys like that, Mahomes, Wilson, Herbert, you know, these are the guys that are going to win Super Bowls in this league. Not just being good, just you know, decent, solid. Like, the Eagles should demand more from their quarterback than that. And like, I, I don't understand why people are still hung up on this. Like, you would think by now, after the season that he had, you can be a fan of the person, the human being of Carson Wentz all you want, but just like objectively look at it. He really has, he's, he's had one great year. He's had a couple decent years and he had one horrendous year and he's regressed ever since the Super Bowl gradually. Yeah, Mike, and people refuse to look at it. And, you know, you look back at 19 and we talked about it many times and, you know, that final month, like before that final month, that was going to be looked at as a bad season from Carson Wentz. Now, you know, you had a Monday night game where you beat an Eli Manning quarterback Giants team in overtime. Um, he played well in the Washington game. I'll give him that. The Dallas game, that was a defensive win. The Eagles scored, yeah. what, 17 points in that game? And then the final week against the Giants, I actually thought Wentz played pretty well. But that was, you know, this that that final month of 2019, and I was – I partially did it as well because I wanted to believe it, but that was not this incredible month as we made it out to be. No, it wasn't. And it's a, it's a shame it's come to this. Uh, I did want to say about the Super Bowl. Um, you know, I, I do agree that, you know, I, one of the, my biggest concern, I guess, for the Chiefs, uh, you know, I'm going to be rooting for the Chiefs. Um, it is that offensive line. The Bucks defense has played really, really well. Um, I actually don't think, I, you know, for all the talk about it, I don't think Brady actually played all that well against Green Bay. In the second half, especially, he was he was pretty bad. Um, but you know, they, he got him the lead, I guess. So that you know, that counts too. Um, but I am rooting for Andy Reid because I want him to match Bill Belichick in Super Bowls. Um, now, obviously, I'm an Eagles fan, so you know, I, I would root for the Eagles to win the Super Bowl every year. But realistically, we're probably not going to be pretty good for the next few years. I think at least one or two years, at the very least. Um, but I do think it would be cool if. A guy like Bill Belichick 
who's been pretty much universally accepted as the GOAT in terms of coaches, if Andy Reid catches him, sorry, it's got to go to Big Red. It's got to go to Big Red. And I, I know you're, you're a big Andy Reid champion. Oh, yeah. You like to champion him. But seriously, like, wouldn't you agree that if Andy Reid tied Bill Belichick in Super Bowls, you would have to give the, the, the nod to Andy Reid for the simple fact that he never had a cheating scandal under his belt? Yeah, definitely, Mike, and I appreciate yeah, it. Man. Thanks. Care. And he's got a ways to go, obviously, but who knows? I mean, you got that quarterback. I mean, Andy could win a ton of them. And you look at it, and, um, you know, it, with with Brady, and Mike is right that Brady wasn't great against Green Bay, but what scares me as somebody who likes the Chiefs and might put a couple dollars on the Chiefs on Sunday is – how great Brady is situationally. Like, there was one play in that Green Bay game where, and yeah, it can be an overpraise for a, kind of a small play. But yeah, Brady had three picks, and even though even his picks don't seem to be devastating picks, like the one was bad where he had Evans over the middle and missed him. That was costly. The other one down the sideline, kind of like a punt. But, you know, you saw what happened at the end of the game with LaFleur. And kicking the field goal, and the down eight screwed up all the math. There was a play where Tampa is up five. They are at, like, the fringe of field goal range. It's a third down, and it's a screen pass. And it's obviously just not going anywhere. And Brady threw that thing into the ground immediately. And that's just his just operating on a whole nother level situationally where he knows in that spot. He's played enough to know if I hold this ball, only bad things can happen. I'm either going to fumble, I'm going to throw a pick, I'm going to get sacked, taken out of field goal range, and he knows the difference between five points there and eight points is massive. And him throwing that ball into the ground, keeping them in field goal range, getting that field goal was huge to mess with LaFleur with the math on the on the final drive. And a big reason why they won that game is because Rodgers took far more sacks than he did. Right. Like, it, it's just all this little situational mind games that – and you're right about the interceptions thing. I saw this stat. You know he has a winning record in playoff games when he throws three picks? That's that's just odd. Um, but That's unbelievable. Yeah, he's just situationally, he just operates on a whole different level. I mean, just look at the end of the first half, hitting that play down the sideline to Scotty Miller. That was such a bad miss it, by the Packers. It was. It was terrible. Um, but, man, it's just, you know, I it's just why I have a feeling if this game's close late, you just always feel like Brady's going to find a way to win. It and makes the Eagles Super Bowl even more crazy. It's exactly right. And we were kind of talking about maybe they could get an interception or a freak fumble or some sort of turnover on Mahomes. That's what the Brandon Graham strip sack is. Like yeah. That play never happens. No. He never fumbles the ball in a situation like that. He always knows where everyone is, and they got just enough on him. Absolutely. Uh, let's go to uh, Zach in Newark. What's up, Zach? Tom, what's up, man? What's up, man? How's it going? Pretty good. So I think as an Eagles fan – I don't know how you can't be, at the very least, optimistic about this trade. I mean, for all the, you know, the Wentz apologists or even Carson himself, how long did they expect to just watch him week after week play the way he was playing? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. This is a, you know, that's not how the fo- that's not how the NFL works. You know, what I mean, this is a what have you done for me lately type of thing. You know. Yeah, and Zach, I mean, I just. You know, I watched the way he played last year, and was it all his fault? No, but was it primarily his fault? Yeah, and you can't be paying a quarterback $28 million a year uh, to play like that, and I think the Eagles getting out of this deal and moving on and, you know, kind of getting, 
you know, starting this rebuild, which I don't think it has to be this really long rebuild, but um, I think it's the best thing for the organization moving forward. Yeah, and uh, if I'm sure the players, you know, low-key are pretty excited that they're not going to have to deal with Carson Wentz anymore. But do you think the players around the league, regardless of which team he ends up on, are paying attention to what's going on and what, what went on with, you know, Doug Peterson? And if Carson Wentz comes in on their team, they're going to be thinking, you know, hey, this, you know, this guy – if you don't play well, I mean, the coach might be going, you know. Do you think that players pay attention around the league like that? Oh, sure. I, I think they definitely do. And and I think they've heard the story, Zach, of, of him in the locker room. And, got, and you got to know, too, guys know guys on different organizations. Sure. So they've, they've probably heard things. Now, I don't think it's a situation where anywhere Carson Wentz goes, he's going to just be judged and, you know, nobody will give him a chance. I think they'll give him a chance. But I think based on what we've heard of, about him – um, I think wherever he goes, he's kind of fighting a little bit of an uphill battle to start things off. I mean, that's going to be up to him, though. He needs to, you know, look in the mirror and be like, well, maybe I need a change. I think that's why he was so against the quarterback competition if there was going to be one. He didn't feel like he had to prove, you know what I mean, that, that he's the guy. They, they should just hand him the job. And then it goes back to what I said, you know, how long did he expect the Eagles to just deal with the, the level of play, you know, that he was showing us? Yeah, no, no doubt, Zach. And, you know, he's got to – He's got to figure that out, and he's got to be, I think, be much more professional wherever he goes next. So, thanks, Tom. Appreciate, appreciate it. it. Yep, take it easy. And it is interesting with Chicago because you talk about that, and guys talking with, you know, guys from other teams. And you know, like, it's been a while, but who still might have some ties with Chicago is Alshon. I wonder if Alshon's giving Carson Alshon, high recommendations. Sure glowing reviews of Carson Wentz. Yeah. <laughs> so, who knows? Um, but That means we're due for an Alshon leak one of these days. Yeah. What, what do you think of the Bears for him, Dan? I don't think the Bears are a good fit for Wentz at all. I mean, I don't it's think he would succeed to, there. It's a tough market to play in. But you know what? I don't know how much say he hasn't. Like, if the Bears come with the best offer, Howie Roseman cleans his hand and says, go there. Right. I, I don't know if it would work there either for him. I think Indy... And again, this is the whole like Carson Wentz has to be coddled and everything has to be perfect for him. If it's ever going to work, you'd think it would be a situation in Indy with Frank Reich. Like, yeah, like they like each other. Small market. That is probably the most perfect scenario for Carson Wentz. I still think he's a better chance of succeeding in Chicago than he does here at this point. Mm-hmm. But I agree with you. I think Indy's a better fit than the Bears are. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. So we'll, we'll we'll see how how it how it all plays out, but. Uh, yeah, and, and Carson Wentz, he's going to have to understand wherever he goes next to that, you know, this organizational catering is probably not going to happen. I mean, they, he's going to be looked at differently going in there, and, you know, he's going to have actually people to answer to this time, and, and he's going to have to deal better with it. 215-592-9494. When we get back, we will predict Super Bowl 52. We'll uh, look at it a little deeper. I'll give you uh, some of my big keys to the game um, as we look uh, ahead to Super Bowl 55. Did I say 52? I meant 55. Um, I, would, I wish we were looking forward to Super Bowl 52. Right. <laughs> so we will uh, talk about that a little more when we get back. If you want to get in, open lines, 215-592-9494. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you until 6 o'clock. If you want to get in, 215 592 Nine four nine four. Uh, obviously, talking about the Eagles and the Carson Wentz situation, as 
The trade should get done um, in the coming days. I think it's either Chicago or Indianapolis. Now, obviously, there's possibility somebody jumps in late, um, maybe, you know, ups the offer and, and gets something done. But I think the odds are this is going to be um, either the Bears or the Colts. And, man, the Bears would be the perfect team to sucker, I think. I mean, they are not a well-run organization. Um I don't think giving up a first-round pick for Carson Wentz is a smart move for really anybody, specifically for them, because um, I don't think Carson Wentz does a lot for the Bears. I think, you know, is he an upgrade? Yeah, I, I mean, he's an upgrade, but, I, I mean, based off last year, how much better is Carson Wentz than Mitch Trubisky? Seriously. I mean, I, I don't know. Um, and Carson Wentz has shown that he is the type of guy that needs everything to be perfect around him. He needs a great offensive line. He needs a great coaching staff. He needs top-flight talent, whether it be a guy like Zach Ertz, a reliable target um, to, to go to. They don't have a lot of those things in Chicago. That offensive line is not good. Um, yeah, they have Allen Robinson, but they don't have great running backs. They don't have a great coaching staff. Like They don't have a lot of, of, of these things that Carson Wentz seems to require to be successful, and uh, I don't think that situation would ultimately work out very well for Carson Wentz in Chicago, but um, remains to be seen if that is where he ends up going. But um, I did want to get back to the Super Bowl real quick as um, kind of discussing the game, and uh, I'll break it down in the 5 o'clock hour to end the show um, again for anybody who, who is not up now. But uh, as we look at this game, uh, I'm so interested in the storylines that we've talked about. Brady going for seven, Andy going for his second in a row, Patrick Mahomes going for his second in a row. Um, and you look at it here and how this game will go and how it can be won. And, you know, I, I have three major things I'm looking for when I look at this game and what I think are going to really affect it. Um, when... The line initially came out, I was ready to hammer the Chiefs. I I, I thought three-point line. I was surprised it wasn't bigger. I, th- I thought, you know, Brady effect, kind of Bucks being a little overrated. They're a good team, but they can't score with the Chiefs. But this Eric Fisher injury is a, a legitimate concern if you are somebody who is rooting for the Chiefs on Sunday. Um, Eric Fisher is their starting left tackle. He is a very important piece of that offensive line and losing him is potentially a a huge loss. When you look at Patrick Mahomes and we all know Patrick Mahomes is incredible, but he needs some time back there. You know, he can't just do it against uh, pressure when it's getting home every time. And, you know, I looked at the game last year against San Francisco, Niners were a lot closer to win that game than people remember. I mean, that was a 10-point game with seven minutes left. There was a third and 14 where Joey Bosa, or Nick Bosa, rather, I get them mixed up, but Nick Bosa is a half second away from sacking Patrick Mahomes. Instead, he hits the deep ball to Tyreek Hill. That kind of changes the game. If the Niners get that sack there, they probably win the game. The Niners getting pressure with four, that strategy was working 
Like, it was working for over three-quarters of that game. The Niners had done a very good job of keeping the Chiefs at bay. I believe they only had 14 points at that point in the game. Um, And if Tampa can get similar pressure against a banged-up Chiefs offensive line without Eric Fisher, they give themselves a chance. So I think that is the first big thing to watch. Can Kansas City's offensive line hold up in this game? Um, Number two, and this is massive, is the Bucks' ability to keep the Chiefs' offense off the field altogether. And I alluded to it earlier, but if I'm the Buccaneers and I think, you know, knowing Brady and the experience he has, he brought this to the table and brought this into Tampa Bay's meeting room quite a bit, is look at the 2018 NFC or AFC championship game. And this is the strategy that I think we are going to see Tampa Bay employ. It is going to be run the ball, eat clock, dink and dunk down the field. That game, you know, the Chiefs ended up scoring 31 points. I believe they all came in the second half. They were barely on the field offensively in the first half of that game. And it was New England, you know, just first down after first down after first down. They let the clock run down under five seconds on the play clock every single time because they knew they weren't going to beat the Chiefs if that game turned into a shootout. And I think it's the same thing here where Tampa Bay is confident in their offense. They're confident in Brady and their receivers, but they know if this game turns into a arena football, if it turns into a shootout, they don't stand a chance. Like, Dan, you brought it up earlier. This needs to be a low-scoring game, and I think Tampa is going to look to eat as much clock as they can to keep Patrick Mahomes off the field. As they should. Like, this should be a big night for Leonard Fournette. Like, this should be a big night for the run game. It should be keep the offense off the field as much as possible. There were some debates as to what the weather would be. I just checked. It looks like it's going to be 65 and clear. So that certainly benefits the Chiefs because if there were any rain in the forecast, I think that would have favored the Bucs. I Tom Brady, that's what Tom Brady excels at. Look, we were talking about that play at the end of the game two weeks ago against the Packers. Tom Brady never threw the best deep ball in the league. Like, he dinks and dunks a ton and manages the clock, manages the game, and keeps the ball out of the other team's hands. And that's why when he gets the ball late, you're like, he'll find a way to just march down the field. And it always, it's never the amazing throw. He always checks it down when he needs to, and he always makes the smart play. And if he does, if they do that, I think the Bucs win the game. Speaking of running backs, how great would it be if Shady made a big play in this game? I would love to see that. He's had what? I think I saw 10 carries all year. Yeah, but, you know, they're a little... If he ripped off a big run. Ronald Jones is a little banged up. I would like to see Shady at least get in the game. He didn't get in. He was inactive last year for the Chiefs. I'd like to see Shady at least get in. How about that Shady going for a second straight ring? (laughs) That's crazy. (laughs) Crazy, right? Ridiculous. Um, But I think that's got to be the Bucs strategy. And then um, my third thing I'm watching, I mentioned it earlier. You know, it's cliche to say whoever has it last will win, but... I would rather, like, say the game, say it's a four-point game, 27-23, 28-24, something like that. Three minutes left. I'd rather be the trailing team in this game. I would rather be the trailing team with either of those quarterbacks having the faith that they'll come down and win me the game at the end. I'd I'd feel better about that than having defense on the field. It's not a horrible take. Like, you know whoever's on defense in that situation 
that entire fan base, that entire sideline has knots in their stomach. We've been through it, yeah. We've been through it, and we all had knots in our stomach yeah. when the Eagles had to try and defend Brady. And if Brandon Graham doesn't get a strip sack, he probably marches down and ties the game. Right. Like, he probably does. And we've seen him do it time and time again, and we know how good Mahomes is. And that's why I think two turnovers, like you said earlier, would definitely do it. I think one turnover very well could do it. Any one little mistake, especially late in this game, will cost either team the game because they're that precise. Yeah. No, I I agree. And, um, you know, when it's all said and done, I am going to pick the Chiefs here 34-27. I think it's going to be close, but I think the Chiefs will – Keep it at bay enough. I think they'll score enough points. I don't see Tampa getting to 30. I just don't. I, I The Chiefs' defense isn't great, but they're good enough. And as good as Tampa's defense is playing, I just don't think they can hold Mahomes off, off the board uh, enough to win this game. So I'll take the Chiefs 34-27. Um, but again, if if it's a little lower scoring than that, I think if the Bucks hold the Chiefs under 30, they got a shot. If the Chiefs get over 30, I think the Chiefs win this game. I'm thinking I, – I, so I'm, I've been going back and forth all week. I'm leaning Bucks. I, I think it's going to be really close. Like, I could see them winning, like, 28-27. Like, literally, Brady leads a field goal drive at the end, and they win by a point or two. Like, I, I really think it's going to be that close. And I could see it going the other way as well. I think Bowles has been very good in the playoffs. I'm excited to see what his game plan against Mahomes is, how much – pressure they send I'm excited to see the offensive strategy which I agree with you I think it's gonna be a lot of dink and dunk mm-hmm. a lot of running the ball the Bucks need to win the time of possession battle in this game to win the game like yeah, for definitely. sure and I'm Tom Brady historically has won games where the challenge has been like that Histor- you know he's never uh, he's oftentimes I've always said not been the most talented arm on the field but these types of situations certainly favor him i'm looking forward to it i think we're all in for a good game tomorrow yeah i think it's going to be great so i'm excited um but i'll take the chiefs 34 27 uh but it should be a good one i i can't wait to see how it all plays out 215-592-9494 if you want to get in 215-592-9494 um coming up in the four o'clock hour we will uh switch it over to baseball a little bit because and man, the JT Real Muto thing really flew under the radar this week, didn't it? For something we talked about for a long time, we didn't talk about a lot well, this they, week. You know, the Phillies kind of slipped it in there with Carson Wentz conversation and Super Bowl week and everything else culminating at the same time. And because he waited more than 100 days to sign, it's like, oh, by the way, JT Real Muto is returning to the Phillies. Right. So we will, uh, I do want to play the interview with Marks and Reese that JT uh, did on Monday. So we'll do that. And also, uh, Talk about some of the things he had to say from his Zoom session. So that'll be in the 4 o'clock hour. But coming up next, I do want to uh, talk a little more NFL, talk Super Bowl, Carson Wentz, um, whatever you want, if you want to join the show. 215-592-9494. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly. Um, Next segment, as I said, we'll let you hear that JT Real Muto interview and um, then go through some of the sound from his Zoom conferences. We don't want to totally omit the Phillies um, this week because they, they had a good week. You know, I got to give Middleton credit. They get Real Muto. They get Didi Gregorius. So um, JT did a good interview with Mark Samri, so we'll let you hear that uh, in the 4 o'clock hour here. Um, just tying up some loose ends um, to finish out this hour. Uh, Sixers beat the Nets on Saturday night. Short-handed Nets team. 
without Kyrie Irving, without Kevin Durant, this Kevin Durant situation was odd. Where uh, at first he was out last night uh, against, well, Friday night, I mean. When uh, they played Toronto, then he came in the game, then he got pulled back out for health and safety protocols. Do you know exactly what happened there, Dan? Did they, uh, you know, did they figure out what exactly went went well, on? Well, he was pulled for health and safety protocols because he's believed to have had contact with someone who tested positive for COVID-19. Okay. Now, it begs the question, and it's the same question we asked after the Justin Turner situation in the World Series and the same question I asked with this, and we didn't even get to it uh tonight yet the uh chief's barber story that mm. they had the positive test in the middle of giving haircuts right shouldn't you have these guys cleared before the contact takes place that's like, what you think instead of getting the test back in the third quarter it causes more confusion it's more embarrassing to the league that there's more confusion and discom- discombobulation going on rather and it kind of just speaks to a disorganized, disorganized system that's saying, hey, we're just trying to get guys on the court, but if we actually catch something later, then we're going to try and correct. Like, he was already playing with the same ball, right. banging bodies with everyone on the floor. Yeah, and I actually think the NBA's done a decent job this year. Like, I don't think they've been as awful, uh, you know, as as people No, but I think this have. is a bad look, this kind of thing. Yeah, there was. It, it definitely was. But the Sixers able to beat the Nets on Saturday um, with Ben Simmons back. Ben Simmons looked good. I think he was playing with a little extra edge going against Harden. Um, so the Sixers get that win. And also, I wanted to mention this here, is the NFL announced their Hall of Fame class for 2021. Um, Alan Fanica, if you remember, you remember Alan Fanica, you big Alan Fanica guy there, Dan? Steelers, right? Yes. Yes. A uh, good offensive lineman. Uh, he made it. Tom Flores. Uh, I don't know a ton about him as a younger guy. He was the coach that beat the Eagles in the Super Bowl in 1980. I know that. Um, Calvin Johnson is a Hall of Famer. Obviously, that's well-deserved. Um, as he was one of the most talented receivers ever, another guy whose career was cut short by playing with the Lions. Like It's like you have careers cut short due to a number of things, injury, um, you know, I don't know, but but next to Calvin Johnson, retired in reason, you can just put that lines. situation is one of the most baffling in my mind's eyes in all of sports. Both sides sticking to their guns. Like there were a few reported returns for Megatron. The Lions had to agree to trade him. They said no way. If he's coming back, he's playing for us, and he never gave in. Like neither side would give in, and still to this day haven't. Yeah, and um, it's a shame because I would have liked to see what he could have done with somewhere else. else, right, with a different organization. <laughs> So he makes it. John Lynch gets in. Yeah, I was never the biggest John Lynch guy. I didn't like those Bucks teams, but probably, you know, de- deserving. I didn't think he was a great player. I'm, I'm glad Dawkins went in before Lynch. He definitely deserved to. Yeah, Brian Dawkins. Well, Brian Dawkins is just an automatic Hall of Famer, and obviously we're biased here, but he's just great and should be in the Hall of Fame, no question about it. Yeah, and by the way, i got to go back and listen to that, uh, the uh, – um, Brian Dawkins it tell us your story. It got reviews, and I haven't gotten a chance to listen to it either. But. Yeah, good, good job to Glenn and Ray for getting Brian Dawkins uh, this morning on their Tell Us Your Story. And so I'll have to go back and listen to that. Um, uh, Bill Nunn, who was a contributor, uh, makes the Hall of Fame. Drew Pearson, who – wait, was, was Drew Pearson the guy who did the whole thing at the – With David Akers? Yeah. Yes, it was. Okay, it was Drew Pearson. Okay. Because um, I – I don't. I, I'm seeing his younger picture here, and he doesn't look very similar to the way he did when he's on the Art Museum. Uh, yeah, steps. Drew Pearson's shining moment is getting shown up by David Akers. It's yeah, just, it's exactly what it is. I will say, Drew Pearson did a great job, though, at, at riling everybody up that day. 
That was yeah. Phenomenal. Look, the the draft, and unfortunately in COVID, it just doesn't work. But for years, it's amazing that the NFL draft, and I'd like to see other leagues do it too. Like for years, they just had it in Radio City Music Hall, and it wasn't much of an atmosphere. Of course, you have stories like the Dirty Thirty and other fan groups that have go- gone mm-hmm. to support or you know show their disapproval for certain picks but having it on the parkway was great like i got to go i don't know if you got i know the station was here like that was an awesome atmosphere that was pre-super bowl like that started that whole year yeah i was engineering the morning show broadcast down there so that was pretty cool. that was a really cool atmosphere for a draft like literally the idea of just putting new players in a league drew that kind of attention it was great yeah no it it was fun i I was up at radio city music hall once or twice too um my buddy's friend or my buddy's brother uh, was able to get tickets. He worked in New York. Like, that atmosphere and can't be as good. No, it wasn't as good. I feel bad, though, because I was up there, and I booed the Eagles' first-round pick that year. Brandon Graham. Uh, well, and yeah. you know what? For a while there, it looked like you were correct. Yeah. And he made the he only came back to make the biggest play right. in franchise history. Right. So maybe I am an idiot. But uh, And the other guys got in. Charles Woodson, who a uh, phenomenal player. Um, another guy who played with a bad organization for many years, um, but ended up winning a Super Bowl with Green Bay, even though he didn't play in that game. He's Only defensive game. guy to ever win the Heisman, still to this day. Yeah, uh, he was phenomenal at Michigan, and then with the Raiders, and then Peyton Manning uh, is in the Hall. It's pretty amazing. Peyton Manning's in the Hall of Fame. Guy, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Peyton Manning's in the Hall of Fame, and his chief rival. Is just playing in his tenth Super Bowl tomorrow. Still, five years after Peyton's Every going in, Brady. Brady played against is washed yeah. out of the league. Brady Bree- still breeze is done. Manning's <laughs> going into the Hall of Fame. Roethlisberger can't play, and Brady's going for number seven tomorrow. It's, it's crazy. Incredible. It's crazy. Brady's still winning Super, going to Super Bowls, maybe, maybe winning another one. But when we get back, I do want to turn things uh, to the Phillies short uh, shortly here. So. Uh, He'll let you hear the JT Romito interview, and then we will uh, go through some of the things he had to say from his Zoom conference. Um, as, you know, it's a big move. Philly's getting JT back, uh, and, you know, a little excitement building for, for the Phils here. As training camp gets started in a few weeks, um, at least now, JT, DD, they will have an opportunity to compete. Pitching staff still questionable at best, but the Phillies hopefully will have an opportunity to compete in 2021. So we'll let you hear that interview next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly. Want to take a little break from the football talk here and just let you hear um, JT Romito, who obviously, you know, kind of went under the radar. It was the biggest Philly story, um, obviously, all offseason and even during the season, really. Uh, JT Romito ends up re-signing with the Phillies, kind of gets, you know, under the radar this week due to all the football stuff, Super Bowl week, um, Carson Wentz trade rumors. Uh, But JT did re-sign. Phillies got it done. Hey, I got to give credit to Middleton. I really do. He he did a good job. Um, Spend the money. Got D.D. Gregorius back as well. Got to give credit to Matt Klintak as well. Matt Klintak correctly, you know, looked at this market. Um, and he felt that the Phillies, if they held their held their uh, held their position, held strong, they would be able to get JT Romito back. And in the end, they were able to do just that for a reasonable price. Five years, one fifteen for JT, best catcher in baseball. I think that's a fine deal. Um, it's not going to kill you. It's not a you know absurd deal. I was worried about paying a catcher too much, but but I think that's that's pretty. 
um, good value. And uh, I got to give Philly's organization credit for it. But um, JT joined John Marks and Ike Reese on uh, Monday afternoon and, uh, you know, talked about coming back to Philly. So uh, here is that interview, JT, with John and Ike uh, from earlier this week. All right, we are back. It is Marks and Reese, JT Rilamuto. Coming up here in a second or so, let's give you our Twitter question brought to you by Mark's Jewelers. Valentine's Day is almost here. Mark's Jewelers is your one-stop shop. Spend over $99, get a dozen roses and chocolates from Mark's Jewelers. Online, marks-jewelers.com. Check them out, Mark's Jewelers in Montgomeryville. Uh, I mean, if we ask the Twitter question of who who likes JT Rulamuto re-signing with the Phillies, I'm, I'm assuming it'd be like 100%, Ike. Yes, I would imagine. And joining us right now is a Philly that's going to be here for at least – at least the next five years. Who knows, maybe even longer. With a brand new contract. JT Rulamuto joins Marks and Reese. JT, John and Ike. What's up, guys? How's it going? Congrats. Congrats, JT. Thank you, thank you. Um, we're, so, at the end of the season last year, I can just speak for us on our show. We didn't necessarily feel confident about you resigning with the Phillies. We know that John Middleton had, had talked about yeah, like there was financial stuff that was going on, and he had, they had lost a bunch of money because of the pandemic. But here you are, signed, sealed, delivered for the next five years. Did you feel similarly at, at, when when the season ended? Were you confident you were going to be back? Um, I was pretty confident, yeah. You know, I had some internal discussions um, other than obviously what was reported in the media. So I had a little more insight as, as far as what John and what the organization was thinking. So I never really lost confidence that the opportunity would be there. Um, and I knew that, you know, me and my family really enjoyed the heck out of Philly, so uh, we were pretty confident that it would work out. How important was it for you during this sort of downtime before the deal actually got done, JT, to, to at least have that open dialogue with the Phillies so at least you know that there's open communication there and you're wanted back here as much as you wanted to be back here? Yeah, it was extremely important, and, and they let me know that from day one. You know, they um, Even when we weren't necessarily – having contract negotiations, you know, because teams were trying to figure out what they want to do, what payrolls were going to look like, and whether we're going to have fans or not. You know, even in those uncertain times, they still made sure that I knew that they wanted me back and um, they wanted me to be a part of this organization for the long haul. So I always had that confidence that no matter what, how the, the offseason transpires, you know, that this was going to be an option for me. JT, you had a conversation with the new Phillies GM, Dave Dombrowski. Uh, at that meeting where you had a conversation, with that conversation, did you feel confident that, indeed, you were going to be back in Philly? Uh, I definitely felt I felt more confident um, after that meeting than I did before it. Not that I didn't feel confident before the meeting, but, um, you know, just the information that he gave me and, and the confidence that, that he instilled in me um, coming back to Philly, you know, he let, he let me know that um, they didn't want to let me go, so – I definitely had more confidence walking away from that meeting. JT, did you did you have other offers, and did you leave some money on the table? I know you deferred some money uh, until later on in your contract, but could you have went elsewhere for more? Um, I, I'm not going to talk about that. I don't want to. I don't want to put any other team's business out there or anything like that. But um, I was pretty confident the whole time that I want to be back in Philly, and that that's what mattered most to me. So obviously, we had discussions with other teams, and other teams were involved, but. Um, Philly is what mattered to us, and, and we're happy to be back. Yeah, money money aside, JT, um, where you live at obviously is important. So why was it important? Why was it important to you that you re-signed here versus going somewhere else? 
you know, it's just it's just we've we've enjoyed from from day one being with the Phillies. We've enjoyed it so much. The fan base and the, and the the organization has embraced us and made us feel like family. You know, they made us feel at home right from the start. So we didn't really, you know, we we left our options open, obviously, but we didn't want to have to start over and have to try to build that, you know, that trust again and and getting to know everything new. You know, there's something that's nice about knowing where you're going, knowing where you're living, knowing what everything is like. So um, that was always in the back of our minds, and it's something that we thought about daily. When when you look at this division, right, because now it becomes you're here and it's going to be, okay, it's about getting on that field and going out there and winning baseball games. The NL East is pretty, it's pretty stacked, right? It, it, it's pretty stacked, and having you resigned and Didi resigned, at least for the fans here, we feel like okay, now we have a chance in this stacked division as well. And I'm wondering, uh, did you did you take a look at what other teams are doing in this division and seeing where the Phillies stack up against those teams, and how much did that play into you wanting to be here for the foreseeable future? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at the NL East, and, and in my opinion, it's the deepest division in baseball. Um, it's just there's not a team in the division that's a cakewalk, you know, and every other division has a couple teams at the bottom that aren't as competitive, but the NL East isn't going to be that way. It's going to be a dogfight every every game that we're playing somebody from our division. So um, that definitely factored into it, just knowing that, you know, there's a lot of unfinished, unfinished business there for me because I feel like we've underperformed the last two years, and you know, nothing's really gone right. Nothing's gone our way. So um, I take a lot of pride in that, and I think that, that, you know, we need to make the adjustments and we need to, to do a lot of things differently to get back to the top of the division. But when I look at our roster and I look at our team, you know, in the off season, we would go through each team and, and what they were featuring. And um, the players are here. You know, we have the players we need, and obviously there's some adjustments we can make. Hopefully we get a little deeper in the pitching staff, you know, but the team is there. We just have to get better and we have to continue to improve and, um, I, I have confidence that this team can do it. It's JT Realmuto or hashtag sign JT, which is what you <laughs> saw a lot on social media last <laughs> year. So fans of Philly, it's a it's a travel group. They rented a, a truck and they were driving back and forth outside of Citizens Bank Park with hashtag sign JT. Even JT, even Bryce Harper was yelling pay him when you were hitting home runs and things like that. How much does that mean to you that your teammates and, and the fans wanted you back so bad? Oh, it means the world to me, honestly. I mean, it's I'm just humbled to know that, that people care that much and um, they feel the same way I feel about them, you know? So uh, it's, it's, they've made me, like I said earlier, like they've made me feel at home from day one. I don't know. I don't know what it is about me, you know, cause, cause Philly can't, fans can be pretty tough sometimes, you know? Um, but, but with me, they've always been so supportive and um, I don't know if it's the blue collar thing. Maybe they, they see me as one of themselves, you know, cause I've come from a blue collar family, had to work, work my butt off my whole life to get where I am you know so I think just me having that attitude and kind of being a, a hard worker and playing the game as hard as I can you know they respect that and they embrace that so um, it's always it's always been special to me to play there uh, you're you're what we call a Philly guy um, yeah that's right exactly. JT I'm a Philly Ike's a Philly guy I'm a Philly guy <laughs> um did you have to? Did you have to? Like when Bre- when Bryce would say it during the games and we would hear it it'd be like man he's putting him in a bad spot Right? Have you, did, have you talked directly to Bryce since you signed? Uh, oh, absolutely. We've talked. I mean, we talked all the time before and after we signed. But um, no, I didn't. It never really. You know, it was all good fun for us. Bryce, Bryce is doing that to have fun. He's so for me, it never put any pressure on me or anything because because we'd have those conversations every single day about what I was thinking. Like we're you know, 
So there wasn't any pressure from that aspect. For me, it was just him having fun. You know, the fans love to see it. So, uh, you know, Bryce, he likes to embrace the fans in that way and, and, and let them see what they want. Oh, but we loved it as fans, man. I mean, are you kidding me? Yeah, like, yeah, he was, was saying. Good. Put yeah, pressure on the organization. Yeah, he was saying yeah. exactly what we were saying exactly. out here as fans. Uh, JT, we know last year was tough for everybody, right? Everybody in the world. No one escaped the pandemic and what we all had to sort of live through and adjust to. And we're still trying to adjust to it and overcome it. But I know it had an impact on the sports world as well. And you guys were, we we talked to you last year, right before this thing hit and everything shut down. And you guys had to shut down for months and then restart this year. Um, have you guys got any indication as to what the season is going to be like for you this year as to when it will it start on time and sort of what are you guys doing to get prepared in case there is some sort of delay in spring training starting or the season starting? Yeah, we're, we're hoping that it starts on time. And right now we're, we're preparing for it to start on time until something changes, which, which we don't think it will as players, we're going to be ready to, to start spring training on time and start opening day on time. Um, we just have to do it as safe as possible and we're hoping that, that at some point this season, if not to start the season, we'll be able to allow uh, fans in the stands. Maybe, obviously, we're not going to sell sell the place out, but at least allowing some fans in the stands just to get the atmosphere, get people back involved, and, and honestly, just just get people in the community out of their houses and give them something to do. That's that's what we're hopeful for. That's what you know we're constantly thinking about and constantly having those discussions. How can we make that happen? Mm-hmm. Uh, but as of right now, we're preparing to start on time, and we don't expect it to change. Well, we as baseball fans are certainly hoping that John mentioned a second ago, a second ago that you are a Philly guy just like we're Philly guys. But since you are a Philly guy, you got to get the Philly guy question of the day, which is, uh, I know you're a football fan, right? You're a football fan. Did, mm-hmm. you, did you check the Eagles out this year? How great was that? Yeah, <laughs> so, 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 so then I won't even hold on. Should I give him the question, John? Yes, We're trying to figure yes. out whether or not the Eagles should trade Carson Wentz, JT. What do you think there? Oh, gosh, it's such a tough decision, honestly, because I know Carson and he's a great guy. Um, it's, it's, I didn't watch enough of his season to know how he performed. I saw how everybody reacted and how. Philly was talking about it and then you see <laughs> see discussions in the media about what was going on in the clubhouse and you don't I never know how much weight to put into that because I know how stuff in the clubhouse can get turned around especially when it's put into articles you know so yeah um it's tough I am a big Jalen Hurts fan though because he's he's not from Oklahoma, Oklahoma. oh that's right the Oklahoma I forgot yeah. about that yeah so I, I do I do like the leader the character <laughs> and the quarterback that Jalen Hurts is but uh, I can't tell you whether they trade Carson or not there it is. JT just made this worse, man. He, he's a Wentz guy and he's a Hurts guy. Well, he's being diplomatic as he should be. <laughs> Good right. answer. Yeah, I, can't. I appreciate it. Good answer, JT. A uh, cu- couple quick ones here. So, uh, who's winning the Super Bowl? Who do you got? Oh, man. I'm going to go against the grain here, and I'm going to go with Tom. I'm going Tom Brady. Just Ooh. Maybe I'm just hopeful. I don't know. I don't think they'll win, but I'm, I, I want Tom to get another one because I think – I think Patrick's going to have a chance to win quite a few of them. But I think it'd be a pretty cool story to see Tampa win and, and see Tom get another one. Well, so six isn't enough, huh? It's just six <laughs> rings. Six he has isn't something. enough. There's just something about going to going to a new team, you know, that yeah. hasn't been successful. Being 43 years old, like that. It's unbelievable. We'll be beating the young, you know, the young stud quarterback with Kansas City. Like, that's the story that we'll talk about, you know, for the rest of our lives. That's kind of why I want it to happen. 
Yeah. If Patrick oh Mahomes wins this one, he's going to go on to win, you know, three, four, five more, and it'll be kind of forgotten. But if Tom wins this one, they'll talk about this Super Bowl forever. Yeah, I mean, JT, what he's doing at 43 is unprecedented. No, no one's ever it's seen something like this. It is. It's unbelievable. You know, listen, you know something about it because you're a former high school quarterback. So you certainly know about the position. Um, how's the family holding up? I know. You, so, so JT is a girl dad times two. You're like, we had that in common, JT. I have a third one coming, but you have two girls. How are the girls and, and your wife holding up during the pandemic? They're great. You know, they're, they're growing like crazy. That's a one, one of the very few things that came out of the pandemic that was positive was I got to spend so much time, you know, with my family um, during quarantine. I spent so much more time at home with them. So I got to see them grow so much more than I normally would be able to. So, that was special for me, but they're growing like crazy. Um, the oldest one, she's two and two and a half, so she's starting to show all kinds of attitude and letting daddy know <laughs> what she wants. So I'm in a little trouble. The, the youngest one's not not doing that yet, so I have a little time on her. But once they both start talking and telling me what they want with life, I'm going to be in some serious trouble. Yes, we are going to be in serious trouble for sure. <laughs> all right, all right. Last thing, when it's going to be a little weird, so I apologize in advance. But so we interviewed you like literally right before all this stuff happened in Clearwater, and we mm-hmm. we did it outside by the picnic tables with a with a, a microphone and a recorder. And our producer Jack Fritz, who's he's 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 here with us. He was down in in spring training with us, and his reaction was. Man, I got to find out what he does to work out his calves. He loved your calves. For whatever reason, JT, he said the best calves he's ever seen. So what's your workout? Uh, to be, uh, he's he's going to be very disappointed to hear this, but uh, Jack? nothing. I don't do anything with my calves. Mainly Jack is... because they're just God-given. I mean, my, my dad has big calves. My brother has big calves. It's just it kind of runs in our family. But I get questions about that all the time, especially at the gym. Like, you know, there'll be these big Jack bodybuilders come up, and they're like, Dude, what do you do for your calves? Like, I can't get my calves to look like that. And I'm like, honestly, I, I wish I could give you something. Like, I got nothing for you. I haven't done a calf raise or anything like that my whole life. Oh, these meatheads come up with their jug of water. Yo, dude. Yeah, nice exactly. calves, you know, man. got these big old biceps and, like, these skinny little legs. I'm like, right, buddy, I can't help you there. Oh, J- awesome, man. JT, I don't, I don't think we're going to see you down spring training this year. In fact, I know we're not going to be down there this year. But um, congratulations on, on the contract. Well-deserved. Philly is so happy to have you back, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Hopefully I'll see you up in Philly. All, All right, right, JT. Thanks, JT. There right, he is. Guys. JT Romuto. Sports Radio 94 WIP, and there it was, the JT Romuto interview. And, before we go to break here, I wanted to, you know, play a little bit of sound for you uh, from both, you know, a, a mix of from that call and from his Zoom session uh, and react to them a little bit. Because JT Romito, uh, coming back, it's it's huge for this team. And it's huge for them being able to compete in the short term. You know, long term, who knows? They still have a lot of work they need to do with the farm system. But in the short term, to compete at a high level, this team needed JT Real Muto back. And ultimately, uh, he, he does return. Here is JT on, you know, the, the slow process and ultimately returning to Philadelphia. Yeah, um, I mean, it was, it was definitely a, a bit of a slow offseason. I think across baseball, everybody's experiencing that. Experiencing that. Um, I was pretty aware going into it that that was going to be the case. So there wasn't really ever – a time where I felt like, you know, this being back with the Phillies or whatever just wasn't going to work out. I knew the process would play itself out how it was supposed to. And um, I'm really just glad to be back, glad it worked out the way it did. Um, For the organization, you know, my teammates, um, they 
they brought me in, you know, like I was their own right away. The fans embraced me right away. They were good to me from day one. Uh, they treated my family great. You know, so it was important to us. We, we haven't been shy about how much we love playing for the Phillies, you know, so um, we're just really excited and, and grateful for the opportunity that they've given us. And it's exciting to get him back. It's a move the Phillies uh, needed to make. And obviously last season, a ton of support from the fans. You know, the pandemic's out there and the whole sign JT thing. You know, and I think that did have an impact. Here's JT Realmuto on on how that, that all resonated with him. Yeah, I mean, that was honestly a big factor in us loving Philly so much. You know, it's the, the fan base embraced us from day one and, and um, the excitement that they showed for me personally as a player, not only just the team, but, you know, they kind of backed me from day one. And um, that was always, I, I really appreciated that. You know, I would talk to my wife about it all the time, about how different it was playing there and, and feeling that from the fan base and feeling the support from them. Um, and that really does make a difference for a player. So it's definitely appreciated. Yeah, and, and I do think that that stuff matters because players, you know, they're people too, and they want to feel courted. They want to feel wanted. You know, you see a lot of guys, and I don't think this was JT's case, but a lot of players, they know where they're going to sign before free agency, especially, you know, and they like doing the tours, though. They like to get recruited and get wooed, and I think that's important. Here, here's JT on, on you know, wanting – to be somewhere that they truly wanted him uh, with their organization. Yeah, it was extremely important, and, and they let me know that from day one. You know, they um, even when we weren't necessarily having contract negotiations, you know, because teams were trying to figure out what they wanted to do, what payrolls were going to look like, and whether we're going to have fans or not. You know, even in those uncertain times, they still made sure that I knew that they wanted me back and um, they wanted me to be a part of this organization for the long haul. So I always had that confidence that no matter what, how the the offseason transpires, you know, that this was going to be an option for me. And, you know, obviously the push to sign JT wasn't just from the fans. I mean, Bryce Harper was very vocal about it. Um, and I guess that's kind of the leeway you have when you're a $330 million man is you can kind of say things publicly and, and kind of, you know, make your voice heard with the organization. But um, here is JT on, on some of the conversations that he had throughout this process uh, with his good friend Bryce Harper. Uh, oh, absolutely. We've talked. I mean, we talked all the time before and after we signed. But um, no, it didn't. It never really. You know, it was all good fun for us. Bryce, Bryce is doing that to have fun. He's so for me, it never put any pressure on me or anything because because we'd have those conversations every single day about what I was thinking. Like we're you know, so there wasn't any pressure from that aspect for me. It was just him having fun. You know, the fans love to see it. So uh, you know, Bryce, he likes to embrace the fans in that way and, and, and let them see what they want. Bryce certainly loves that. And, you know, I just remember that during the spring training game, whatever, summer camp game, when he yells up at the owner's box, side JT. Um, you know, it's a pretty brazen thing to do. But uh, when you're Bryce Harper, I guess you're allowed to do that. And, you know, it was a different kind of offseason. With the Phillies, they had flux in their front office. You fire Klintak, you bring in Dave Dombrowski to run the show. And, you know, at that point, things, I guess, were a little uncertain. JT dealing with some members of a front office that he hadn't dealt with uh, before. Um, but that was a critical moment when JT met with Dave Dombrowski. Here's JT um, on that meeting and how he felt uh, right after. it. We, we walked away from that meeting, um, you know, in the car on the way home, talking about um, how impressionable um, Dave and his wife were and how nice they were and, you know, how we could tell how genuine they were. And um, obviously the success speaks for itself that he's had. But um, that meeting, you know, it was kind of, 
that was honestly the first thing that happened in the offseason for us is other than a couple of zoom calls but that was the first time we could walk away from the like you know in the offseason and feel confident about what was going on you know we felt like philly was going to be a good place for us again and um you know he just made a good impression on us and hey that that's a good start for dave dombrowski as as a gm because these are going to be um important situations for him and you know, taking over from a guy like Andy McPhail, who's not inspiring. You know, this is a good start that Dave Dabrowski can come in and immediately kind of land a big fish in JT Real Muto. And obviously, uh, JT liked a lot of the things he had to hear from Dabrowski. Here's more um, from JT talking about Dabrowski and his vision for the team moving forward. He talked to me about him and John's thoughts and, and where they saw the organization going and um, kind of some of the stuff in the media that was reported wasn't quite as accurate, you know, which happens, but... You know, he kind of laid rest to some of that stuff and let us know that, you know, the organization is in a place to to try to win and, and try to win. You know, he mentioned, John said that he wanted this Phillies team to be one of the best teams ever. So, um, you know, that sunk with me and, and you know, gave me the confidence that, that they want to go out there and get back to the postseason. Well, one of the best teams ever. I, I don't see that happening, at least in the immediate future. Not with this pitching rotation, but getting JT back is a start. Um, and you, you wonder about the other offers because, you know, it was supposed to be a hot market, um, obviously not as hot as we expected, even though there were teams interested, uh, Mets, Braves, Blue Jays, just to name a few. Um, but here is JT on whether he uh, got any other offers uh, throughout this process. Um, I, I'm not going to talk about that. I don't want to put any other team's business out there or anything like that, but um, I was pretty confident the whole time that I want to be back in Philly, and that, that's what mattered most to me. So, obviously, we had discussions with other teams, and other teams were involved, but um, Philly is what mattered to us, and, and we're happy to be back. And, you know, you look at JT last year, part of the reason I was a little hesitant to give him this sort of uh, contract, a long-term contract, was because of the injuries. I mean, the last couple of years, JT Romito has been banged up at the end of the season, and he's a guy who plays a lot he likes to be on the field a lot and you know I think maybe DHing him down the line could be the way to go obviously there'll be no DH doesn't look like this year but beyond it certainly appears like there will be um but here is JT and the, uh, on talking about the status of his injured hip that that uh hampered him toward the end of uh that shortened season in 2020 uh the hip's great um it did linger into the offseason you know honestly the the last playing on it the last week and then specifically the last day of the season um, almost kind of took me back to square one to where it took me probably three weeks into the offseason where I felt 100%. Um, so it wasn't anything that hindered my like progress or anything. I still worked out the same and everything, just some little movements. I would feel a little tightness in the hip, but that only lasted, you know, three or four weeks into the offseason. Um, the diagnosis was just a, a hip flexor strain. So um, it was a grade one, so it wasn't too bad. You know, it was just a strain that really just needed time to heal and we tried to come back, you know, I, I want to say I took eight or nine days off when, when the injury happened. And it's, like I said, it was probably a three week injury. So when I came back, I wasn't a hundred percent, but um, you know, once we got to three or four weeks in the off season, I haven't felt it since. It's a little scary. He said playing the last week uh, almost really set him back, but you know, at least, um, you know, JT able to uh, rehab and, and hopefully uh, that hips right now. Uh, because he is getting older, and and part of how he ages will be key here. Here's JT on why he thinks he's he's going to age well. Uh, no, I haven't necessarily talked to other catchers about that. Um, I've worked with you know certain doctors and certain trainers to to try to 
keep my body in the best shape that I can, you know, to perform as long as I can. And um, I just think my athleticism will, will take me a long ways, you know, as long as I continue to work hard and continue to keep my body in shape, um, continue to come to the season as ready as I can. I don't see why I, I, I wouldn't be able to last a little longer than other catchers just because kind of the uh, athletically, I'm a little more advanced than most catchers are, not all obviously, but so I feel like that gives me an edge to where even if I decline a little bit athletically, I'll still be ahead of the game um, as far as most catchers are concerned. And JT is one of the more athletic catchers, and that should help him. But as I mentioned earlier, you know, the possibility of him DHing more and taking a little pressure off him as far as being behind the plate, where that's a demanding position, uh, could help him in his later years. Here's JT real me on that possibility. Uh, you know, I don't, I haven't thought too much about the DH. I'm sure it could help me um, in the long run, you know, or DH in, you know, five or 10 games a year, but um, I'm a catcher, you know, so I want to be behind the plate. I want to catch as many games as I can while staying healthy and while um, helping my career longevity. So if the DH helps that out, then I'm all for that. Um, and I think it will a little bit, but I still want to be behind the plate and I still want to be catching for this team. Yeah, and I mean, JT's got that mindset. And, you know, you you hear about it all the time, about how he fights to get out on the field. And he wants to be on the field. He wants to be behind the plate every day. But, you know, as he gets older, I, I do think that's something you got to question, whether that is, you know, the best idea moving forward and whether that is going to, um, you know, keep him playing as long as he wants to play. And... Uh, I think the Phillies need to be smart about that. And I, I think JT also um, needs to be smart about that when you look at this moving forward because you don't want you know him to constantly be on and off the injured list. That's just not something uh, that, that is going to you know help this team in the long run. But you know you look at this team now, I think they're very good offensively. They were very good offensively last year, but the pitching staff is is question mark certainly but here's JT Romita on how good he thinks this team can be very good I mean I think obviously we have we have a long road ahead of us we have to make some adjustments and um, we have to get better bottom line there's you know offensively defensively pitching um, specifically with defense and pitching there's a lot of improvements we can make that um, the talent is there we just have to put it together and work hard in spring training and, and we'll see how it goes and you know organizationally you look at this, and I'm sure it was tricky because the Phillies had to figure something out. And, you know, Dave Dombrowski spoke as well. Uh, here's D Dombrowski on whether there was a plan if, if the JT deal didn't get done. Yeah, we had other plans. We were hoping we didn't ever have to use them, but, <laughs> yes, we had other plans. I mean, were you were you inching toward, um, you know, implementing plan B, or were you pretty, pretty confident that you were going to get this to the finish line at a certain point? Well, you're, I think the way to say is that we were prepared to, just like you have to be because I really never knew what was going to happen until you get to that position. So until you finally say it's a deal and they sign it, you always have to have something in the back of your mind, at least, okay, to be prepared to uh, to move forward in another direction if it so happens. Yeah, and, I mean, that's just being prepared. And, you know, having Dave Dombrowski in place, I think it just inspires a little more confidence. Um, it, it really does. And, you know, it, it's funny, you know, Dombrowski comes in with pressure from the fan base to get this deal done, but also the other players. And here was Dombrowski on, you know, that aspect of everything and whether that affected how the Phillies went about it. Well, I didn't have any conversation with the players. 
uh, on that type of situation. My, I mean, it's, it's easy to follow what their notes are, and they're in the paper all the time and the support for JT. And I don't, I mean, when you're sitting in my shoes, it's it's easy to understand. You're talking about the best catcher in Major League Baseball. And if you if you don't re-sign them or you lose them, you're not going to be as good as you can at that position. It's just, it's not going to happen. So, I mean, not that you can assume you're going to sign them and it's okay. What other alternatives do you have behind the plate? How can you make yourself better at other positions? Those are the type of discussions that you end up having. But we never, ever wanted to be in a position where we would lose JT. And that was from ownership to Middleton, John Middleton, the Bucks. when I talked to them from the first day I got on board, it was, geez, we'd really love to keep JT. We'd really love to keep JT. Um, then when you talk to Joe, you talk to your staff members, everybody was unanimous in that support. So of course you pay attention to the fans. Um, there's a passion there, which is great. Um, teammates want to have them on board. You pay attention to all those types of things, but you still have to make a decision on how you realistically think what makes sense for you as an organization from player perspective, a cost perspective, how you appropriate your dollars. But all along, you pay attention to all of them. Um, but we always, from every end of it, wanted to bring JT back. Yeah, and part of what started this whole thing about kind of the outrage and the worry that JT wasn't going to be back was Andy McPhail and John Middleton's own comments that, you know, the money might not be there uh, due to the pandemic. And, you know, I think they kind of made their own bed in that regard. Here's Dave Dombrowski on the amount of money the Phillies have to spend this year. Well, I don't know if we're more optimistic Um I think a lot of that be attributed to uh, John Middleton and, and the Buck family that have been willing to step up and do things for us to try to make us better as a ball club. So um, I, I, there's still so many uncertainties going forward and, and basically the uncertainties are still all COVID related because we're not sure of the number of fans that we're going to be able to put in the ballpark, uh, particularly early in the year, but as the year progresses. So as we sit here today, that uncertainty still exists. But I think it's more a situation where they, um, I think what they do, they're, they're trying to allow us to put the best club possible that we can on the field and also provide entertainment for the fans. I think it's really an ownership-driven decision that, um, that they've made. And I'll give John Middleton credit, as I said, for coming out, spending the money. He does deserve credit for that. He's still, you know, done some things wrong, certainly. But, you know, I, I can't. Fold him for, for not spending the money in this instance. I mean, he certainly has done that and getting JT back. Um, got deserve credit for it. Also, same with Didi Gregorius. But here's Dave Dombrowski on uh, the Phillies still having more to do this offseason. Well, we continue to I – mean, right now, there's still a lot of free agents out there. So, I still think you're looking at value in some ways. I, ideally, we would like to have it. Um, there's a couple of pending things that we're not in a position that we've announced because sometimes things have to go through physicals uh, to before you can actually announce them as a club. So we're in a position where I think pitching still remains a priority for us. But as you continue to move on, you also fine tune your club in other ways. I mean, we've had we had a gaping hole at catcher uh, that's changed. Um, well, I guess we can talk about shortstop at another time. Um, um, we, we try to get some pitching depth. Um, we can talk about that at another time. So as you continue to eliminate and try to approach some of these holes, well, then you start talking about other things. So how does your bench look, for example? Can you do something there? Because every club can get better. I don't care how good a club you are. You can always get better. So those are things that, that we do, but you also, we're doing now, but you also look at then how many, 
financers who have spent in other places. So that's become more clear for us, but I would still say pitching continues to be something that's focused both not only with guys on your big league roster, but non-roster invitees that we like, that we think that we might have a chance to help us, particularly in the bullpen. And then uh, we also continue to look at uh, our bench. And just a couple more things real quick from the uh, JT interview on the afternoon show. Uh, Football-related things. JT, a big football fan. Uh, first, uh, here he is on who he thinks is going to win the big game later tonight. Oh, man. I'm going to go against the grain here, and I'm going to go with Tom. I'm going Tom Brady. Just Ooh. Ah. Maybe I'm just hopeful. I don't know. I don't think they'll win, but I'm, I want Tom to get another one. Because I think, I think Patrick's going to have a chance to win quite a few of them. But I think it'd be a pretty cool story to see Tampa win and, and see Tom get another one. And uh, one more for you here is JT Romito also offered his thoughts on whether the Eagles uh, should trade Carson Wentz. Gosh, it's such a tough decision, honestly, because I know Carson, and he's a great guy. Um, it's, it's, I didn't watch enough of his season to know how he performed. I saw how everybody reacted and how Philly was talking about it. And then you see, <laughs> see discussions in the media about what was going on in the clubhouse. And you don't, I never know how much weight to put into that because I know how stuff in the clubhouse can get turned around, especially when it's put into articles, you know. So yeah, um, it's tough. I am a big Jalen Hurts fan, though, because he's – He's not from Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Oh, that's Canada. right. The oh. Oklahoma. I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. Uh, so I, I do I do like the leader, the character, <laughs> and the quarterback that Jalen Hurts is, but uh, I can't tell you whether they trade Carson or not. Well, there you go. So I guess that um, uh, J- JT Romito also probably happy about this uh, situation of Carson Wentz getting moved because obviously he's a fan of Jalen Hurts. So uh, that was the JT Romito stuff. Next up, we will um, – uh, Talk a little more about Carson Wentz, obviously, and I want to play some sound from Mike Garofalo, joined Angelo uh, on Friday. Talk about that. That's coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you till 6. In the next segment, I want to let you hear Nick Sirianni's interview with Angelo from Monday morning. It feels like uh, this week, I don't know why, it feels like it's been a really long week. I don't know if it's all the Carson Wentz trade rumors and stuff, but that Sirianni interview feels like a lot longer ago, but it was just Monday morning. And we will play the head coach's first interview with Angelo um, in the next segment, which I thought he did a, a much better job. Friday, uh, the introductory press conference was, I mean, it was disastrous. It sugarcoated. Tell tell you the way it was. It was, it was really bad, um, and it was discouraging. But I thought the coach did a much better job on uh, Monday with Angelo uh, of really articulating his ideas and, and talking about it. So um, we will uh, play that for you in the next segment. But right now, I just want to go through some of the reporting here. In a minute, we'll get to Mike Garofalo. Some of the things that he had to say with Angelo, but it's just crazy that we're at this point. You know, we've talked so much about will there be a trade? Will something get done with Carson Wentz? Um, you know, rumors about it really starting with his benching. And even at that point, I didn't think it was likely. I thought when Doug fired, there was no chance. I thought when Sirianni was hired, there was really no chance uh, because I thought he was in here to coach Carson Wentz. And I still believe that was part of the reasoning. But here we are. And, you know, Everybody's talked about the the quarterback market, and Adam Schefter might have been on point when he said so many quarterbacks are going to move 
homes this offseason because we're not even into the offseason technically yet. You already had the Goff-Stafford trade last week, and that was really the first domino to fall. And now it looks like Carson Wentz will be the next domino to fall. And it looks like the big domino at some point will be Deshaun Watson. When that happens, where he goes remains to be seen. But it is a very volatile quarterback market right now. And I've never really seen anything like it. And here is, you know, earlier in the week when we really knew this was probably going to happen, when Ian Rappaport reported um, that Carson Wentz uh, was, you know, on, on the block and likely to be dealt. As soon as Matthew Stafford and Jared Goff got traded a couple days ago, the question was, where will the quarterback carousel spin after this? Who's next? And my understanding, and this is reporting I'm done with colleague Mike Garofolo, is the Philadelphia Eagles are now fielding calls about potentially trading Carson Wentz. Teams are calling them, trying to see how much interest do the Eagles have in moving their former and potentially still franchise quarterback. And while the Philadelphia Eagles have been pretty clear publicly about saying that Carson Wentz is in their plans, they don't plan to trade him right now, they're also not hanging up the phone. And, and of course, let's talk about the money for a second. Carson Wentz, uh, if he is not on the team in 2021, they're not going to cut him. That cap charge is too big. But trading him would actually save the Eagles $25 million as far as cash and also cap would get $33 million in dead money uh, against the salary cap. That is manageable, obviously, depending on what they get back in a possible trade. This is all very fluid. Uh, This is in the infancy, but teams are calling the Eagles to see would they trade Carson Wentz and finally move on from their former starter. And really then you knew it was likely to happen. I love that phrasing of, you know, they're not hanging up the phone. It's like, all right, well, once you're entertaining calls on your franchise quarterback, you're likely trading your franchise quarterback. Like, you know, if the Eagles were keeping Carson Wentz or had any intention on keeping Carson Wentz, um, I highly doubt they'd want it to be out there that they're fielding calls. Like, come on. Uh, You know, and that's the point you really knew that, yeah, he's going to get dealt here. And it's just crazy that, you know, it came to this. And here's um, Adam Schefter. This is on 104.3 The Fan in Colorado. I'm with uh, Mark Schlereth, um, who – you know, we, we love Mark Schlereth on this this show uh, with his Man 101 videos. Big uh, big fans of those. But here was Schefter on why a Wentz trade, um, why he thought a Wentz trade was, was almost inevitable. Carson Wentz, mm-hmm. I believe, is a guy, I, I think he'll wind up getting traded this offseason. I think that the Eagles, as cap-strapped as they are, with the history they've had, I think it's tough to bring him back. Tough. Um, doesn't mean he won't be brought back, but I think that a trade is in play for him. That's what I think. And it, it was obvious. And and it's really, you know, you heard Schefter mention as well the history. Um, and it can't be discounted. You know, we make a lot of this kind of stuff, and sometimes I think it's overblown. I really don't in this case. I think the history and everything dealing with Carson Wentz, it – it just was too much to overcome. It was just too much for him to, uh, you know, escape. Watching his backup quarterback winning a Super Bowl. Having all the pressure. Some guys, I think, could overcome it. Carson Wentz couldn't. And, you know, I think the Jalen Hurts thing was maybe the icing on the cake. I don't think the Jalen Hurts thing, as I said, 
The idea that that caused this is ridiculous. It's laughable. Anybody that says that is is a buffoon as far as I'm concerned. Um, but, you know, it was at the point where, where something had to be done. And you got to, in some ways, question the Eagles offseason here. As, you know, they fired Doug Peterson. I think we all assumed, most of us, I certainly did, that Doug Peterson was fired because of Carson Wentz. I think that was part of it. I, I also think, you know, when he told Jeffrey Lurie his plans for the staff were basically promote from within, not go get outside thinking, I, I think that was probably the final nail in the coffin. Um, and as much as I like Doug and I've defended Doug and I said I wanted Doug back, I will admit I would not have been crazy about that plan either, <laughs> you know, uh, to be completely honest. Um, I wouldn't have been in love with that, you know, on my side either. I thought the Eagles did need to go outside and get some new ideas, some fresh ideas, and I thought if you brought Doug back, you would have to give him the entire show and let him do what he wants to do. Obviously, Eagles weren't on the same page, and they moved on. Now, the hiring of Sirianni, I thought initially – was all about Carson Wentz. I still think it primarily was. But, you know, now Nick Sirianni's the coach, and, and Carson Wentz isn't here. And that's got to, you know, at least make you question to some degree whether he was hired for the right reasons and whether the Eagles might regret that now. Here's Mike Garofalo. Mike Garofalo was on with Angelo and the morning team on Friday. Uh, here is Garofalo on whether Sirianni was ultimately mentioned uh, hired in Philadelphia with Carson Wentz in mind. Well, I do think it was done. I mean, I know it was done with Carson Wentz in mind. Now the question is, what does he do? Does he force their hand? Does he come back? I mean, I I gather that they had conversations toward the end of the season with him. And I believe it was a a meeting with Howie Roseman where Howie told him, we're going to get this thing right. And we're going to do what we need to do to get you back on track. I don't know what what Wentz's reaction was, but the, the player has a hand in this. Yeah, and I certainly did think that the Eagles wanted to keep Carson Wentz. Um, And I think their hiring of Sirianni was kind of an olive branch to try to convince Wentz to stay. And I think that that they knew, you know, yeah, they could hold it over Carson Wentz and hold him here, but that wouldn't have been a productive situation to have a... to have a unhealthy quarter uh, an un, uh, a quarterback who didn't want to be here would create an unhealthy situation and the Eagles knew that and I think they were trying to bridge that gap make it tenable for Carson Wentz to come back where he wouldn't be a problem I don't think that was ever the case I think he had his mind made up the second he was benched against Green Bay because I think he did, obviously didn't like that Doug did it but I think Carson Wentz looked at that as an organizational decision he was done with the Eagles the second that happened it's why he didn't hear a word from him again after that and um, you know, I think the Eagles partially did it because of that, but I hope they didn't do it solely because of that. Because now Nick Sirianni is coaching a team without Carson Wentz. And it's why I had a problem with the hiring process to begin with. It's, I don't know if Nick Sirianni is going to be a good head coach. As I've said before, he very well could be. I hope he is. I'm, I'm rooting for Nick Sirianni as hard as anyone now. But, I thought the process was flawed because I thought the process was in many ways designed around, you know, fixing Carson. And as Mike Garofolo said, that was a part of it. 
You know, you can't just say, oh, that, well, that, that didn't have any bearing. Eagles knew they were getting rid of Carson. I don't think they did. I think they were trying to solve the problems that remained, and obviously it didn't work. And now you get to a point where this trade's going to be made, and um, this relationship, for all I- intents and purposes here, is finished. It is over. And, you know, you look at the market, and I'm surprised there is as much of a market. I really am. And, you know, you know, I've, I haven't been the biggest Carson Wentz supporter over the last um, five months here, rightfully so as far as the way he's played. But you look at the demand, and, and the Eagles, I guess, are in a position of power where they are not in a situation where they trade Carson Wentz and they have nothing. And it's why the Jalen Hurts pick was a good pick. You have an option that you can ride out with and at least try out. Maybe you have a good player on decent value and you have a high pick maybe you can turn that into a quarterback or turn into more picks so the Eagles not in a horrible situation at the quarterback position regardless but here's Mike Garofalo on that um, supply and demand issue that the Eagles feel have working in their favor the Eagles are sitting there and saying well we've got two quarterbacks that we feel good about we've got the supply uh, and the demand is out there. Um, so I think in Howie Roseman's case, it starts with a first-round pick, and then what are you giving them on top of that? And, you know, if these rumors are right, you know, first-round pick, offensive player potentially, <laughs> Nick Foles, that's good return in my mind. I mean, if you can get a first-round pick for Carson Wentz after the year he just played, I'd be I'd be surprised by it. I didn't. I wouldn't give up a first-round pick for Carson Wentz. I'll say that. I mean, if you get the Bears pick, too, that's what, number 18 this year? It's not bad. It's not bad value. And you get a backup back in Nick Foles, who, I, as I've said earlier, I love the idea of bringing Nick Foles back. I think it makes a hell of a lot of sense. Um, and, you know, I'm, in, I'm, I'm excited about that possibility. So, in my mind, that's pretty good value. And the Eagles evaluated the market correctly here where they will be able to get pieces back as they look to rebuild. They have talked so much about 2021 being a bit of a rebuilding year. That kind of, this kind of cements that in my mind. That they are, you know, looking at maybe not a full rebuild. I don't think this is a full rebuild. I think this is a retool. This is a year where you find out about Jalen Hurts. You find out about some of the young guys on your team while possibly being able to compete. Because I'm not... I'm not of a mind that the NFC East is going to be insanely better next year. You know, Dallas will be better if that gets back healthy. But other than that, I don't love the Giants. I don't, I'm not a Joe Judge guy. I don't think they're that great. Um, Washington has a good defense, but, I mean, they have a ton of question marks at quarterback. What are they going to do for a quarterback right now? Um you know, I don't I don't know how they're going to handle that situation. I'm not buying into Taylor Heineke over one game. So, we shall see. But I don't think this is a situation where the Eagles can't compete next year. I absolutely think they can. Um, but here's more from Mike Garofolo talking about the contract uh, scenario here and the type of money the Eagles might have to eat in this deal. One, you may be able to eat some money. If yeah. you're the Eagles, and okay. and then all of a sudden that makes the return a little bit better. Okay, uh, that's number one. Number two, if it's a late one, I, I could see a team parting with it. I really could. Um, so I, I still think that that's possible, but uh, we'll see, Hans. I mean, we'll see which Mike winds up being right on that. I guess. <laughs> and a late one, you know, you look at the the picks you could get. Uh, I believe Chicago was 18. 
Indy is 20, so they're not necessarily late ones. I mean, they're pretty much mid-round ones. Um, that would be a good a good situation to be in, and it's, it's exciting. Um, you know, it's exciting to me. You get a first-round pick. I, I think it enables you to maybe pick at six, where before I thought, you know, trade down is probably the option the Eagles would choose. Trade down, get more picks. Now you can pick at six. You can get a stud, whether it's the O-tackle from Oregon, um, whether it's Devontae Smith, Jamar Chase, one of the quarterbacks, uh, you know, Kyle Pitts from Florida, uh, who is a tight end, who I know, you know, this team doesn't necessarily need a tight end, but, um, you know, I've heard him compared to Travis Kelsey. And if that's what you can get, I, I think you got to look in that direction and, and maybe run a two-tight end uh, 12 personnel a lot with Pitts and Goddard, but there are going to be a lot of options there. Patrick Sertan, a corner at a position of need. So you look at this situation, you know, if the Eagles can now draft at six, maybe they can trade that later first round pick, trade down, get more picks that way. And all of a sudden, you're in a position of power, you're in a position to rebuild, and you can do this very quickly. Um, and maybe eating some of that money is the way to go, especially if you're looking at 2021 as more of a retooling year, which I think the Eagles are. Um, Now, right now, it looks like the Bears are the team. You know, that's what the rumors are out there. Um, That's what I want because I want Nick back. But, you know, the other team is the Colts. And I don't know, personally, I think there's an urgency on the Colts' part. There should be. uh, If they really like Wentz, I don't know if they do. I I think it would be very telling if the Colts don't do this deal. Because I think it would have been uh, obvious that we've overestimated Frank Reich's, you know, his confidence or his thoughts on Carson Wentz. If the Colts don't do this deal and they get him for a, a late one, I think that tells you Frank Reich might not think Carson Wentz is all that good. And, you know, um, maybe could reshape some people's opinions on, on why, you know, we have been uh, obsessing with this possibility uh, of Frank Reich bringing in Carson Wentz because if he doesn't do this, I think it's pretty clear he doesn't think Carson Wentz is, is all that great because there aren't really any other options for Indy out there right now. I mean, the other guy they were linked to was Stafford. Stafford's off the table. Who else are they going to go get to play quarterback this year unless there's something we don't know and, and and you know, Andrew Luck is planning on returning, which who knows? I, I did predict that would happen. I don't think it'll happen at this point. Um Chris Ballard uh, said he is retired, their GM, um, and I'll assume that's the case until until otherwise. Uh, but, yeah, I think it would be telling if Indy doesn't doesn't do that deal. But here is Mike Garfolo talking about the possibility of Indianapolis uh, trading for Carson Wentz. One of them, yeah. Uh, I think it's a really good fit. Um, I believe that there would be interest from New England, and I believe that there would be interest potentially from the Saints as well, and um, I don't know specifically about those two teams. I do know that the Eagles have had conversations with the Indianapolis Colts already. Yeah, and I expect they would have. I'm sure the Colts checked in. But again, if they don't do that deal, I, I think it is telling. And, you know, I, I I think that would be a good fit for Wentz. If Wentz was going to get back to playing at a high level, I think that would be the fit. I don't think Chicago's a good fit for Carson Wentz. And... That's not being a Carson Wentz hater. I just I don't think that is a, a good organization. Um, he'd obviously have a very good receiver in Allen Robinson, but aside from that, I mean that's not a great offensive line there. Um, I 
think that's a bad coaching staff. I think Matt Nagy's a bad coach. Um, they did a very poor job developing Mitchell Trubisky. If, you know, people want to bash the Eagles for their mishandling of Carson. I mean, the Bears have mishandled Mitch Trubisky. So I don't think that that would work. Um, but I think the Colts, there'd be a, a better chance that it would. Here's more from Garofolo. Uh Mike Garofolo talking about uh, Carson Wentz potentially headed to Indy. Here's the thing about the Colts, and this is why they never were really strongly in the running for Matthew Stafford. Um, these guys are really good at what they do draft-wise. They believe in themselves. And so every pick that they deal away, they think to themselves, well, I just dealt away a good player. And that could be your answer as to why they're not in on Carson Wentz. But, dude, this is the quarterback position. You know, you need a, a top-notch quarterback. You need a, a, a competent quarterback. And the Colts don't have one. They have Jacob Eason as the only quarterback on their roster right now. And, you know, I don't care how good you are at drafting. If you really like a guy, you go get him. The fact that the Colts aren't as aggressively attacking the Wentz market tells me all I need to know. I don't think they think Carson's all that good. Um, next up, I want to uh, – Play the Nick Sirianni interview with Angelo from Monday. Then we'll discuss that a little bit. That's coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you until 6 a.m. as we kick off the final hour of the show. A little later in the hour, we'll have a, a Super Bowl preview. Um, I talked about it a little earlier, but we'll uh, talk about it again to close the show. But right now... I want to let you hear uh, the first interview that Angelo Cataldi and the morning team did with Nick Sirianni as the new head coach met with the media um, uh, last week, last Friday. Obviously, it did not go well. Uh, there's no uh, no sugarcoating that. It was, it was ugly. Um, it was a bad press conference, as bad a first press conference as I can remember seeing really from anybody. I mean, Doug's was pretty bad. Uh, this one was worse. And, um, you know, it left a lot of people scratching their head, left a lot of people um, kind of confused. But Nick Sirianni came back on on Monday, and I thought did a much better job. I, I thought he did a much better job of kind of establishing and and, and communicating, I think is the, the best way to describe it. Uh what he's looking to accomplish and how he's looking to accomplish it as Eagles head coach. So um, here is uh, the interview that Angelo did with Nick Sirianni. We'll come back and we'll discuss it uh, in a few minutes. But here was uh, Angelo with the new Eagles head coach from Monday morning. All right, welcome back. We are very honored and excited to have on our show the new head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, Nick Sirianni. Hi, Nick. Hey, how you doing, Angelo? Hey, Nick. Welcome to Philadelphia. Welcome to the NFL as a head coach. Uh, could you describe for us what the last ten days have been like for you? Yeah, it, it's been uh, it's been crazy in a good way. It's been crazy in a good way. You know, just uh, the interview process, going through the interview process, kind of, and then and then um, then getting the job, and then you know having some time with my family. And then all of a sudden, boom, I'm here in, I'm here in the Northeast, a great place in the Northeast. I love the Northeast. Grew up in Buffalo. So, <laughs> you know, so, you know, just uh, and then filling out the coaching staff, you know, we're really still working through that process right now of getting the right coaches in here to help the players um, be, at, be at their best. And so and then and then just getting used to the city, trying to drive around the city a little bit, find a place to live. 
Um, wife's on the phone with me all the time. Just, hey, we check this spot out. Or what do you think about this part of town? And so it's just just a lot of change, but super excited to be here in a, in a great city like Philadelphia and, and look forward to being here for a while. And, Nick, even before I saw you, um, your parents did a spot on Channel 6, and uh, your dad was so proud. He's, oh. uh, he's a high school coach. What does this mean to your family that you're in that you're a head coach in the NFL? Yeah, thanks for asking that question, Angelo. Great question. That you know, my dad, longtime coach, uh, head football coach at my high school for nine years, um, then the ha- head track coach for 41 years. Actually, the, the the field is named after him at my high school now. And so, you know, obviously, I'm super proud of my dad and all the accomplishments he's had. He he's had in his in his life, but I know. You know, with me and my brothers all being coaches, you know, I know he's super proud of us, and it's it's uh it's special. You know, it's it's a special. It's the family business, I guess you can say, right? Yeah. So we got my dad, the coach, my brother, the coach, my other brother, the coach. I just followed the family business there. <laughs> so he's proud of all of us, um, and he loves going to games. He loves getting the gear of the team that I'm coaching on. Uh, so it's been special for my family, just because football's always meant so much to my family. Um, it's done so much for us. It's built so many relationships that we've had, and you know it. So I know they're I know they're happy, and uh, obviously I'm happy as well. Um, but it's it's nice to have two loving parents like I do. I, I'm just curious. So you're at the dinner table, and all these coaches are there, right, Nick? Mm-hmm. Is it all X's and O's? What's your mother? Is she involved too? What is well, it? she? Ha- I mean, <laughs> she doesn't say much on the X's and O's, but I know she can scheme up a defense with all the conversations that she's heard. So, you know, the the the, the great thing about that, I have older brothers. I'm the youngest, and and for that, for me to be able to give them a play, like you know, I think about my brother. They actually, you know what? They played at um at Pensfield um for in, against uh against the team a couple years ago because he, he's the head coach at Washington and Jefferson College in Pittsburgh. And I don't remember who they played. I do remember they played uh, Brockport. They played Brockport in a, like a bowl game up at Penn. And I gave him a two-point play that we had talked about at, at wherever. It was Easter dinner, right? And it worked for like three two-point conversions against Brockport. And that's, that's pretty awesome when you're able to help your big brother like out, oh. out like that because you think about my big brothers. They, they help me out so much. It's just cool to be able to help them. But it's not all, Angela. It's not all nice conversations there. I, I promise you that. I can remember. <laughs> I can remember a conversation after a playoff game that I played in, um, after a Mount Union game when I when I was playing, and my brother was at the game, and he basically he's like, "You you you were terrible today." And that you know what? <laughs> Me and him got into an argument. That same thing happens when we're talking about a play if we have a different philosophy. So it's still like yes. We love each other and we're for each other, but there's still that brotherly co- combat right there. That and my dad's pretty good about controlling that and stuff like that. But no, it's it, how blessed am I to be able to do have those conversations with my brothers um, about football, about philosophy, about plays, with my dad involved there as well. And my mom, mm-hmm. she she's she's doing she's she can she could probably coach a position as well. All right, well, you still got a couple of slots open. Nick, Nick, let me get to Frank, right? Because in a way, um, he's like a father figure. Uh, I'm sure he had something to say in you getting this job. What what did you take from working with Frank the last three years as his coordinator? Let let me say this with Frank, because 
you know, I think he'd be mad if I can refer to him as my father figure just because yep. he's a little younger than my dad. So <laughs> big brother. Let me say big brother. Let's say that. All right. All right. Fair okay. <laughs> but the, what, you know, I obviously was with Frank the last three years, and I was with him for three years in San Diego prior to that. That's why the relation, you know, that's why I went with him to Indianapolis. And with Frank, you know, obviously I learned a ton in, in San Diego. I learned a ton about Frank or from Frank about, you know, the fundamentals and technique of the quarterback play. Invite and, and, and I, and I think I taught him a lot. I know I taught him a lot about the fundamentals and technique of wide receiver play. So we really meshed there, you know, with the wide receiver and quarterback fundamentals. And so that's what the starting relationship was. And that's why he brought me to Indianapolis with him. We obviously, it was more than that. It was a friendship. It was, you know, the respect of the coach and everything like that. But when I got around Frank as the head coach, man, is he a special leader? I, I feel like I got my PhD in leadership from Frank because, you know, it was still that conversation about offensive play. And it was still that conversation about quarterbacks, wide receivers, and the other, and the other players on offense. But I was able to just pick his brain and listen to him every single day about leadership. This guy's a phenomenal leader. And, you know, I'm, I'm just fortunate that I've been around him, that I was around him and learned how to, you know, feel like, again, got my PhD in how to lead a football team through the ups and downs of a season and the, of, the long, of a long season. Now, Nick, I, I don't have to tell you, I'm sure you're aware by now that your first news coverage did not get rave reviews, right? <laughs> um, but, but I'm hearing a different Nick Sirianni here today. Uh, the big issue in the minds of these fans, I've been doing this 31 years, I know that, is your situation at quarterback. Could you give us a sense right now for what's going to go into how you handle two very talented guys? Yeah, it, it's you know we've we've watched a little bit of tape to this point now. You know we're so we're we're into that process of of you know evaluating those players, and I and I think we have really good I think we have really good talent evaluators. And one of the things that's really important to me as I'm building the staff is can they get the player better, right? Once we get a player in the door, can that coach get him better with the fundamentals and technique? And can they get and can they help us get the right player in the door by evaluating that talent? So you know that those are really things. And we can we evaluate talent well to get the right players in the door for us? And then can we develop that talent once we get in once we get those once we get those players in the door? And so you know that the first part of this is is getting the coaches in there to help you know with that process. Yes. I mean, yes, I, I'm watching a little bit of tape, and I'm coming up with some, some thoughts here, but I, it's a group effort, right? It's Shane Steichen coming up with his thoughts, and I know he can evaluate talent. And it's, and it's Kevin Petullo and Brian Johnson coming up with their thoughts. And, so, and then it's just, you know, as we, as we gather those thoughts, and this is every position, Angelo, right? right. It's, it's every single posi position that we have, evaluating our thoughts on, on all these guys, going through a thorough evaluation, you know, um, again, getting the right guys in there and then in the coming days, weeks, months, you know, just figuring out what we have on this team and how it fits what we want to do. And so and so just just going through that process right now. Nick, uh, in your initial conversation with Dick, uh, Dave Spadaro on the website, you really were emphatic about competition at positions. You think that brings the best out of players, but you were not ready to say that about our quarterbacks. Um, are you ready to say it now? And if not, where are you right now on just getting the two guys to compete and see who's better? Yeah, you know, the, my a core value, like you just mentioned, Angelo, is competition. 
And that's competition with the quarterbacks. That's competition with the wide receivers. That's competition with the DBs. That's competition everywhere, right? And so it's just every everybody is going to compete. I'm going to compete with Shane on on things, and and we're gonna we're gonna compete in the building with coaches, and we're gonna everybody's gonna compete. So I just believe when you compete, and when people are competing, it's like competing, right? Is like if we're gonna run a play in a game. Let me just use this illustration. If we're gonna run a play in a game, we gotta practice that play. Right. We got to be feel good about calling that play because we practiced it over and over and over again. Well, it's the same thing in competition. If we're because we're going to have to compete against the wash against Washington and because we're going to have to compete against Dallas and because we're going to have to compete against the Giants. We got to practice that everybody. And so just it's it's for competition is the core value that we're going to use for every single position that we have here with the Philadelphia Eagles. And that would include Hurts versus Wentz? They will compete for the starting job? Yeah, every, everybody everybody in this in this situation competing, players, coaches, every position. Fascinating. All right. Now, um, will you also have – I mean, Frank Reich was brilliant with Carson in the years they were together. Um, can you pick his brain on that, Nick, too? Of course. And, and you know what? Like, yeah. when we went – when we went from 2018 to Indianapolis, when I traveled wet from the West, from from the LA at that time, and he came over, you know, we met in the middle, and he came from the East, right? We we studied a ton, a ton, a ton of the Eagles, right? We're putting an offense, we're starting an offense from scratch. There were things that we wanted to start from scratch, right? So it was, you know, it was us watching uh, Philip Rivers and the, and the San Diego Chargers tape. And it was us wa- together and it was us watching the Philadelphia Eagles and Carson Wentz tape together. And, you know, it, just wa- watching that tape, seeing what the players did, what we were going to do with our player, Andrew Luck at the time. So, you know, seeing a lot, um, heard, you know, seeing a lot of, of tape on him, particularly the 2017 tape and know that he's a special talent and, you know, look forward to working with him and Jalen. Nick, when you got a, a player who's struggling, all right, um, how do you how do you approach it? Do you approach it mechanics, fundamentals, psychological? How do you get the guy you know out of his slump? What do you do? Yeah. What's your what's your plan? Angela, that's a great question. You know, it's 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 everybody. It's case by case, right? What is what is the first? It's identifying the problem. What's going on? What is what's happening here? What what is the problem? Is it that it's his? Is it is he? Is he thinking slow? Is it, do we have to simplify it? You know, so it's first identifying the problem and then every player is different of how you approach it. Right. And some players you can really get after, right? Some players you can really get after and they crave it. I craved it. My dad did it to me every single day growing up. I got yelled at every day. So a coach wanted to reach me. He had to yell at me because that's the only way I responded. And, and so, but some people don't, right? Some people don't. And it, and you, and it's gotta be the tough, it's gotta be the, arm around them. Hey, I'd like for you to do this or this, but what's important in all of them is that the standard's the same for every single player, right? There's not, it, it doesn't, it doesn't waver, right? This is the standard. We need to teach that player the standard of what, what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. And you do that from film and how you teach them. Right. And then, and then it's the special, that's where you create the relationships that are so important. You create a relationship. So one, so you, because that's what we do as coaches, right? You know, we, we create a relationship so we're close to our players so, you know, they trust us. 
So they trust us to, to, to get them better and, and they listen to us. But then it's to create the relationship so you know how to press their buttons and how you need to treat them um, in order to get the most out of them. That sounds awesome. Uh, Nick, the last thing, I'm just the, – the perception of the, – the, the people in this city are so passionate about football. Um, did Frank Wright give you some sense that you're going to be under fire the whole time you're the coach here? And is that – I'm guessing it's a little different than Indianapolis. Are you ready for the kind of criticism that comes with the job of head coach of the Eagles? Yeah, you know, no. Frank said he he spoke he spoke great of everybody here. He mm. he really did. Um, but he did say, you know, he obviously he, Frank, being a mentor of mine, big brother, good friend, mentor of mine. You know, Frank has always prepared me in everything, right? Not just quarterback play, not just leadership, you know, but but media as well. And and that and that started with the Indianapolis media, like you know, you know, just the the little things of listening to him, how they how he talked, and then him just kind of helping me along there. That's what, that's, what's great about Frank. Right. And that's what I hope to be as a head coach, the, uh, not only a person that can run the team, obviously that's the most important thing and win football games, but also develop people and not just, and not just players, but coaches, you know, because I've had, I've had so many good coaches in my life that, you know, starting with my dad um, that, you know, looked out for me. Hey, Nick, this is how you can get better. This is how, and it's just continued to make me better because I've had good guys around around me. So, um, you know, I hope to be that here as well to the the coaches on my staff. But uh, of course, Frank, 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 uh, let me know everything um, and, and help me out throughout the way and in, in everything, the media, the um, the coaching, and the leadership. Nick, all I can tell you is this: there's not a person in this city that's not rooting for you to be a huge success. We wish you nothing but great things in our city. Thank you, Nick. I, I appreciate that, Angela. I, I, you know, I'm really looking for a good Italian spot. Right? <laughs> we got our, both of our names and an aval. So I, I'm going to be yep. I'm going to be turning to you for some of that advice. Yeah, I, I, believe me, uh, you uh, I'll I'll steer you the wrong way. I'm terrible with that stuff. I know Maybe. all the places. Rhea, Nick, don't Rhea worry knows about it. everything. She <laughs> I lives live in, in South, South Philly. Philly. <laughs> but Nick, believe me, anything you need, just call us. We we wish you nothing but the best. Thank you, yes, Nick. Sir. Thank you. And that was the interview with Nick Sirianni uh, from Monday. And as I said, I thought a much better appearance than what we saw last Friday. Because uh, last Friday was rough. And it was a rough spot for him. There's no doubt about that. I mean, he was obviously very nervous. Um, and that's to be expected. I, You know, I don't know how much he spoke to the media in Indianapolis. I'm assuming they have a similar type of arrangement that, the Eagles have where coordinators speak once a week, but, you know, nobody's really paying that much attention, uh, you know, to that. I mean, you, you hear some sound from Jim Schwartz every now and then, but, you know, I I wasn't hanging on every word Mike Rowe was saying in 2018, 2019, you know. I wasn't hanging on every word Frank Reich was saying in 2016, 2017. Um, and I imagine in Indianapolis, which is a far less scrutinized media market than Philadelphia is, Situation Nick Sirianni's not used to. And I, I think he was obviously nervous. Um, that came across. And I also thought the organization didn't do him very many favors for him to have to sit through a, a Jeffrey Lurie 15 to 20 minute, you know, kind of preamble. And then, uh, you know, start answering questions via Zoom. And it, it's it's awkward and, you know, Nobody else is there to take questions, which I, again, I thought that was wrong. I thought it was, 
It was wrong for Jeffrey Lurie not to take questions in that spot um, and kind of leave his coach hanging out to dry to answer a bunch of questions he wasn't really, I don't think, in a position to answer. Yeah, obviously, when you look at Nick Sirianni's being asked about the quarterback situation, I don't think Nick Sirianni had a lot of say in what was going to happen there. Um, And they were really difficult questions for him to answer, and I thought, they put him in a really tough spot, but I thought Monday morning came back and did a much better job with Angela. Um, and at least I, I think you kind of understand what the Eagles saw in him. And I'll take the L on it. I, you know, you know, listening to me, I will admit when I'm wrong. You know, I, I think that that's part of the job, and I'm wrong quite a bit. That that's fine. Um, but I thought Nick Sirianni was here to coach Carson Wentz. I still think that was part of the plan. Um, we'll play some sound in the next segment from Mike Garofalo. Mike joined Angelo on Friday morning to talk about the quarterback situation where, you know, Mike also thought that this was part of it and still thinks it was, and I do. I think part of the hiring of Sirianni, not all of it, as I thought at the time, but part of it was to fix Carson Wentz. Um, you know, apparently this still wasn't enough for Carson, who you need to do everything for him, apparently, and I think it's part of the reason why it's a good idea for the Eagles to move on from this unhealthy environment that I think is Carson created more than a lot of people do. But, you know, um, while I do think that was was part of it, I also see why the Eagles thought Sirianni could be a good hire even if Carson wasn't here, which they certainly had to have some sort of inkling that this wasn't 100% Carson would be back um, because of how unhappy he was. But you can hear the energy. You can hear the enthusiasm. You can tell this guy does love football. Like, and uh, I'm sure a lot of head coaches love football, most of them, if not all of them. But, you know, he certainly has energy. He certainly, you know, has a passion for the game. And I think that is something the Eagles were looking for. Jeffrey Lurie said it. And, you know, I'm interested to see how he can build an offense now around Jalen Hurts. Um, And if Nick Foles does come back in a trade, I'm sure he's also spoken to Frank Reich about Nick Foles because, you know, who knows? Frank Reich could have told Sirianni, yeah, I like Wentz, and we did some good things with Wentz, but look at how long it took us to get him playing at that kind of level. Like, look at what we did with Nick Foles in a matter of three weeks. You know, I don't know how sustainable that is, but we all talk about the success Frank Reich had with Nick Foles. He also had... Or, or, I mean, with, with Carson Wentz, he also had a, a ton of success with Nick Foles, as did Doug Peterson. And, you know, I'm sure Sirianni will take some things that he saw from specifically the NFC Championship game and the Super Bowl and maybe put it in for a situation in which Nick might have to come in and play if he is an Eagle. But um, it, I thought he did a lot better with Angelo. And when you look at... Nick Sirianni, one of the things I really like about him, and part of it's cliched, part of it is football guy speak, but you can tell how much he means it. When he talks about competition and the importance of competition of every level of the organization, here was Nick Sirianni, that exact uh, comment. Yeah, you know, the, my, a core value, like you just mentioned, Angelo, is competition. And that's competition with the quarterbacks, that's competition with the wide receivers, that's competition with the DBs, that's competition everywhere, right? And so 
it's just every everybody is going to compete. I'm going to compete with Shane on on things, and and we're gonna we're gonna compete in the building with coaches, and we're gonna everybody's gonna compete. So I just believe when you compete, and when people are competing, it's like competing, right? Is like if we're gonna run a play in a game. Let me just use this illustration. If we're gonna run a play in a game, we gotta practice that play, right? We gotta be feel good about calling that play because we practiced it over and over and over again. Well, it's the same thing in competition. If we're because we're going to have to compete against the against Washington, and because we're going to have to compete against Dallas, and because we're going to have to compete against the Giants, we got to practice that. Everybody, and so just it's it's for competition is the core value that we're going to use for every single position that we have here with the Philadelphia Eagles. And I love that approach. I think that's the way it should be. It should be like that in any job, honestly is you should always have to compete. You know, we compete here at the station. You know, I, I mean, everybody's always competing in, in most jobs, and especially in NFL locker rooms. That idea is so important of nobody earns their spot. Everybody has to compete. Everybody has to earn their position. And I think that was part of the reason why this Carson thing ultimately became untenable because Carson didn't want to compete. He didn't. And, you know, I think this might have been the final straw. Here was Nick Sirianni talking about competition um, applying to the quarterback position as well. Yeah, every, everybody everybody in this, in this situation competing, players, coaches, every position. And it's interesting how this thing has gone because where is this Carson Wentz stuff picked up? Right after that comment. You know, I think that might have been the final straw when he's like, no, I don't want to compete with Jalen Hurts. I mean, we already saw what – just drafting Jalen Hurts did to him last year. I don't think Carson Wentz would have been tough, mentally tough enough to win that job. I really don't. And I thought that was a really important moment for Sirianni. Whether Carson Wentz was here or not, to prove to your team. Because these guys, they're, they don't know Nick Sirianni much better than we do. They may have talked to him once or twice on the phone, but they don't know him much better than we do. I guarantee you those guys were listening to that interview. And, you know, they were seeing how he approached that question. Because, I mean, it's clear that part of the problem in that locker room over the last couple of years has been this entitlement with Carson and the way the organization treats Carson and the perception that he is treated differently. And I thought that was a big moment for Nick Sirianni to come out and win his locker room over by saying, no, you know, he will not be handed the job. This will be a competition. If Carson Wentz is back, he will compete with Jalen Hurts for the starting position. Because that's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. He should have to compete. And, you know, now it's kind of a moot point. And if Nick does come back here in a trade, it will not be a competition between Nick and Jalen Hurts. That's that's obviously different. Um, you know, the Eagles are trying to see what they have in Jalen Hurts. Next year, I don't think, is a win or bust year. I think... You know, in this division, who knows? I think the Eagles could potentially hang in. Um, you know, you never know from year to year what's going to happen in this league. People, uh, Teams go from worst to first all the time. I don't buy into this idea the Eagles are just going to be a dumpster fire next year. Um, but I thought that was an important moment for him to win over the locker room, just saying that. And maybe he knew Carson was out the door. But to say that um, and to get that kind of respect of your locker room, I thought it was a big moment. And I feel better about Sirianni than I did before. I feel better 
now than I did before the idea that, you know, that, that when, when the idea I had was that he was in here strictly to fix Carson Wentz, I don't think Carson Wentz thing would have worked. And I, I think it's for the best of the organization and everybody involved that, that that's not um, the case anymore. I think it's better for everybody that Carson Wentz is gone. I think it'll make Nick Sirianni's job easier um, than coming in and dealing with a disgruntled player. I think it'll make things more harmonious in the locker room. I think it'll help Jalen Hurts to have a guy with him, whether it's Nick, whether it's somebody else that wants to see him succeed and wants to help him succeed. Rather than, you know, uh, be passive aggressive and, and, you know, with the stuff Carson was doing. So um, I think this is going to be a good spot now for Nick Sirianni. And hopefully he's a good coach. The Eagles obviously saw something in him. I'm at least hopeful now that it was beyond the Frank Wright connection trying to fix Carson Wentz. And hopefully the things they saw in him translate him to being translate into him being a good head, good head coach. It worked with Andy. It worked with Doug. It worked in the short term with Chip. So hopefully the Eagles made a good hire again. And Nick Sirianni uh, can be a good head coach of this team. But I thought he did a good job with Angelo on Monday, much better than his press conference. And it gives me some level of confidence that he will be a successful head coach in the in the future here in Philadelphia as we move forward. Uh, next up, I want to do a little Super Bowl 55 preview. We talked about it earlier in the show, but I do want to give you my pick one more time, talk about uh, the uh, more important things from this game coming up later today. Very interesting matchup, so we'll do a Super Bowl preview. Coming up next, I'm Tom Kelly with Hill 6, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly. As we wrap up the show here on Super Bowl Sunday morning, and we talked about the game a little earlier on in the show, but I wanted to uh, to give you my thoughts again if you weren't with us uh, a little earlier on as um, we, we head into this very intriguing Super Bowl matchup. You don't get these kind of storylines every year. I mean, I, I think back at the Super Bowls recently. Like, last year I thought was a decent matchup, and obviously we care more in this city. Andy going for his first ring. San Fran was, uh, I think, a better team than Tampa Bay. Um, But it doesn't have the same kind of of storyline there. You know, you look at Rams-Patriots. Patriots Patriots going to the third Super Bowl in a row. I I don't know. The Rams didn't do a ton for me, and obviously they, they weren't very good in that game. Um and the Patriots dominated, but you look at this kind of storyline, you don't get this often, where this these kind of legacy-breaking moments, these kind of legacy-defining moments are on the line for so many people in this game. I mean, you look at Brady right here. He has the chance to get a, a seventh championship. I've already said many times, he is the best team sport athlete and you know he's not the most athletic guy which is ironic about it but as a team sport winner he's the greatest winner I've ever seen you know it's him it's Jordan it's LeBron and you know people rip on LeBron but you don't get to what was it eight straight finals nine straight finals um you know by accident you don't and yeah he didn't win it every time look at what had to be built to stop him 
when you look at that Golden State team, which I think is in many ways uh, potentially the the most offensively talented basketball team in the history of the sport. And for LeBron to, to, to make them build that, for them to need to go out and add Kevin Durant to a 73-win team just shows you how uh, amazing he is. But nothing compares to what Tom Brady's done and to what Tom Brady is still doing at 43 years old. To play this game, which is, which is so physically demanding, so tough on your body. You know, he's got the TB12 method, all this stuff. People bring up, you know, is performance enhancers involved? I don't know. I guess someday we'll find out. Um, but, I mean, guys have been caught yet. And, you know, the Deflategate thing, I've said, I think way too much was made about that. I thought that was incredibly overblown. Um, the bottom line is this guy is is a freak of nature. He is. And what he has done this year might be more impressive than anything he's done. Where, you know, you look at that infrastructure in New England and the familiarity and, and all that stuff, and he'd been there for so long and they had such a culture ingrained that, you know, them winning up there became somewhat commonplace. So much of that was, was due to him. But the question was always, you know, who was more responsible, Belichick or Brady? And, you know, uh, we've talked all night about not basing so much off one season based on Carson in 2017, but you can't look at this year and not appreciate the effect that this guy has had on that organization. This is a Tampa Bay team that last year, the last several years, they're, you know, what, six, seven, eight-win team with Jameis? And I don't think Jameis is that awful of a quarterback. I mean, he certainly has turnover problems, but a talented player, and I think he more than likely is going to get an opportunity to be the starting quarterback on a good team in New Orleans this year. But for Tom Brady to come in with essentially the same roster, because it is basically the same roster. You know, Antonio Brown's been in and out of the lineup. Gronk has been there. Um, but, you know, Gronk is a different kind of player at this point, much more of a role player, much more of a blocker than he was in his days in New England. He's not that game-breaking type threat anymore. For Tom Brady to come in and just completely change the fortunes of that team, it's nothing short of remarkable. And... You know, I look at a guy like Brady, and, and the way he's driven is, you know, it, it, very few guys are, are built the way he's built. You know, you, you watch The Last Dance, and you see the way Jordan was vindictive about wanting to win and was, you know, just so hungry to win and to dominate. That's the same way Brady is, where Jordan would carry these little slights around with him to motivate him. I 100% believe that Tom Brady, still in his mind, thinks more about the fact that he was drafted in the sixth round than the fact that he's won six championships. Like, he is so motivated by that and by the, 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 the people who doubt him that, you know, he wants to do this 
badly. And I think the Jordan thing is part of it. Right now, he's tied with Michael Jordan at six. I think Brady is looking beyond football. I think he wants to become the greatest winner in the history of American professional sports. You look on the other side, and the quarterback he's going up against, I think that's part of what motivates Brady, too, because even if he has six, if Patrick Mahomes can win back-to-back, and Patrick Mahomes can be at two this early in his career, I think Brady looks at it as, I mean, this guy could surpass me. I mean, we could see Patrick Mahomes over the next decade win five. That wouldn't surprise me at all with how, how dominant he is. He's the best quarterback I've ever seen. And, you know, when you look at those two guys' legacies being on the line, Mahomes having an opportunity to be the first quarterback to repeat his champion since Brady did it 16 years ago, um, for Andy to and his legacy to have the opportunity to be the first coach to do this since Bill Belichick did 16 years ago. Just so many interesting stories uh, at, at, at place here, you know, with Brady and Mahomes and Reed and the legacies and how much is attached. And I think it's going to be a fantastic game. Um uh, I'm I'm really excited for it, um, and you know, I I don't know which way this one's going to go. Um, I made my pick earlier, and I'll I'll repeat it in a second as we break down the game here. And you know, I think the number one thing to look at going into this game, and it's the one thing that has me a little unsure of of what's going to happen because. Immediately, when these teams won, when the matchup was set, as much as I respect Tom Brady and I like Tom Brady, um, I didn't think they could keep up with this Chiefs offense. Uh, I just didn't. I didn't think they really had a chance to keep up with that offense, to to score enough points uh, to to stay in this game for as long as they need to to stay in it. Uh, Because of Patrick Mahomes, because, I mean, Hill, Kelsey, Hardman, uh, Watkins might play. Just so many weapons. Edwards Alaire, so many weapons on that Kansas City side. Even that Bucks defense, which is very good. And man, as far as defensive players, I mean, they have some great individual defensive, play, young defensive players, whether it be Devin White, the linebacker. I mean, Antoine Winfield Jr. is incredible. As I said, that kid is going to be the best safety in football for a long time. Um, and, you know, that defense is very talented. Still didn't think they'd be able to hold down the Chiefs, the Chiefs uh, offense. But the one thing that has me questioning it is this injury to Eric Fisher, the Chiefs left tackle, because he is an important part. He was number one pick in the draft back in 2013. Same year Lane Johnson was drafted. Uh, I think Lane has gone on to be a better player than Eric Fisher. That being said, Eric Fisher is still very, very good and a very important part of that offensive line. This is the way the Bucs can win this football game. Can they get pressure on Mahomes? Can they get pressure with four? Because you look back at the Super Bowl last year, and, you know, it's why I think people overreacted so much to that San Francisco loss. Like, people saying, oh, the Niners got to upgrade. They got to get rid of Jimmy G. I, I don't see it that way. That's why I thought the Niners... And, you know, I guess we'll see what happens in the coming days. It sounds like Chicago, maybe Indy. Um, who knows if San Fran could jump in for Carson Wentz. If I'm San Francisco, I'm not I'm not moving Jimmy Garoppolo 
to, to go with Carson Wentz. I'm just not. Like, and I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is great, but he's good enough to win a Super Bowl. He was good enough to win that game last year. And, I mean, the 49ers were essentially a play away. I mean, if you remember, they're up 10 with just under seven minutes left. Just over seven minutes, somewhere around there. Uh, third and 14. And, you know, there's the video of Patrick Mahomes going over the sideline, telling Eric enemy he wants to run this Wasp play um, where the, the Chiefs end up sending Tyreek Hill on a deep route, on this deep, like, out route um, where he, he runs in, runs out to the corner. And it's basically unguardable. And here is uh, the sound uh, from... NFL turning point uh, from that play last year. What are we thinking? Do we have time to run walls? Wasp is a double move route for Tyreek Hill, attacking deep down the field. If it's first and 10, Wasp, or, 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 or any down the distance, I don't care. And, you know, that was the sound. I remember watching that last year, and it, it's kind of like the Chiefs' version of the Philly special where they run this Wasp play, and it completely changed the game. And they diagram it afterwards where uh, you basically can't guard Tyree Kill um, if you don't get the pressure because he just – you against the zone coverage, obviously will beat anybody man. San Fran didn't have a terrible defense called. You just can't guard it because he goes in and out so fast nobody can stay with him. But – um Bosa on that play is so close to getting home. He's about a half second late from sacking Patrick Mahomes. They sack Patrick Mahomes there, game over. And the, the 49ers are champions. So the 49ers and their defensive line getting pressure last year very nearly won them the game. And it's why I think a lot of the criticism of Garoppolo and Shanahan and and how Shanahan managed the end of the first half, if you remember, very conservatively. I actually thought it was a, a good strategy. Uh, remember, they end up hitting the deep play down the field to Kittle that gets called back on the, on the offense pass interference. But it was a situation where the Niners were very close to winning that game, and in the end, they just couldn't get pressure on that final uh, big play. And without Eric Fisher, I wonder if the Bucks can sustain it because that's the way to win. That is how you win this game is you can't blitz Mahomes, he'll kill you. You got to get pressure. You got to get it with four. You got to keep him in the pocket. So I'm looking at guys like Ndamukong Sue, Jason Pierre-Paul, those pass rushers on Tampa Bay. They need to win this game. They need to win up front. If Tampa's going to win this game, that is their only chance. So that's the first thing I'm looking at as far as a key. Second key um, is the Bucks offensively. And I think the Bucks over the last two weeks essentially watched tape of one game more than any other. And it wasn't the game the Bucks played against the Chiefs earlier this year as far as their offensive approach. Defensively, yeah, they're watching that game to see how they don't let Tyree Kill just go insane against them again. But I look at the uh, AFC Championship game from two years ago, and that is the template that Tampa Bay will use in this game. There's no doubt in my mind. If you remember watching that, that was Chiefs-Patriots. 
Um, so Tom Brady, obviously very familiar with the game plan. That was that great game. Patriots win 37-31 in overtime. I believe the Chiefs scored all 31 points in the second half because the Patriots' first-half approach was as perfect as I've seen. The Chiefs barely had the ball. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.